This is The Trigonometry Show, brought to you by Precision Shoe. Check out psmz.info for details. G'day guys, Kerry here from Precision Shooter and this is our interview with Ryan Hay. Ryan is one of the top competitors in the PRS, in fact he's currently ranked number one for the tactical division, as well as being a uh, customer services representative for Magneto Speed, which I would hope that you guys are familiar with, because they do some of the best chronos out there, and also do the H1000 hit indicators, which we're looking at getting some for our upcoming shoots. So Ryan is a wealth of information from technique and equipment, and there's some quite funny stories regarding how not to set up the target indicators. Uh, the interview gets kind of chopped off at the end, and that's because my little girl heard I was talking to somebody and wanted to come in and say hello, so she did, but it kind of, um, afterwards the interview did, it, anyway, so it's all good, a lot of good stuff. Please, uh, for extra details, check out the website psnz.info, and I'll talk to you again soon. I was interviewing Regina, she mentioned ages ago that I should get in contact with you and, and have a chat and say hello as well. Um, yeah. And to be honest, well, I, I certainly knew the name, I've seen you on shows online and I've seen you through a lot of bits and pieces as well. Um, to be fair, I had to do just a little bit of research before kind of organising this to say hello and to organise it. So um, do you want to give us just like a quick uh intro and a little bit of background to who you are doesn't need to be the whole life story but at least so people yeah. have got some context uh well i mean geez work at mag currently working at magneto speed have been since uh 2015 uh early 2015 uh prior to that uh i worked in a ar shop here in texas manufacturing and seracoding ars prior to that uh it was 16 years in the u.s army uh with multiple deployments to iraq doing reconnaissance and basically uh, a lot of time in Baghdad, Mosul, Fallujah, uh, other nice vacation spots mm. that the mm -hmm. Department of Defense offered to take me and show me. So, sunny, warm. Sunny, warm, no, no bikinis, bombs. So, see the world. Yeah, seeing the world, doing that thing. So I did 16 years in the Army um, and then, you know, reverse. Went through a job at uh, an AR shop, and then now I'm Magneto Speed. Um, did my first competitions when I was in college back in 97, 98, 99, and that was all small bore and uh, air rifle and, and, and three-position NRA collegiate. So made it through sectionals, got a couple medals, was going to go to nationals, and then 9-11 uh, happened. So... I uh, was starting my shooting career, and then it got paused to, to go into another career. Mm. And um, my first true PRS match was at K&M, which is now CORE, down in Baker, Florida. And that was a panhandle one-day precision rifle match. Mm. That was 2012. Um, Jim and Melissa Gilland invited me down there because I was stationed at Fort Benning with them and been hooked ever since. So the were you 
sorry, I don't know the timeline of it. When you, when you got involved in the the PRS events, there was already had you already been doing precision style rifle shooting, or were you getting in when the PRS actually had started up already? No, I was doing precision rifle shooting on the army side, which yeah, is okay. yeah. I mean, it, it, the now to preface this, I didn't go through the Fort Benning Sniper School. I was just in a slot, um, a, a, a as we call it, a RISTA squadron, Reconnaissance, Surveillance, and Target Acquisition. And we had M24s in our arms room under our MTO, which is how the Army describes what your equipment listing is, Mission Task Essential uh, Equipment List. Sure. Uh, metal, or MTO. And... So we had M24s, but we didn't have anyone to shoot them. So basically uh, got linked up with, uh, wow, it was 2007, 2006, 2007. Austin, Dallas, a bunch of SWAT teams around Central Texas is off station at Fort Hood. And we started doing, you know, precision rifle training that way. So my roots in the precision rifle are from the military. Yeah. But I, I didn't qualify and I wasn't a, a qualified Bravo 4. Sure. Uh, through the army, so it was Jim, and I knew matches existed. I knew about the PRS on my last deployment because I saw the Facebook page, and that was the first season, mm. I believe, 2011, 2012. And I saw the the Facebook page start up when I was, you know, overseas, and I was like, hmm, okay, yeah. And it just slipped my mind until I got to Fort Benning, and you know, Jim Gillen was like, hey, why don't you come down? Hey, bud, why don't you come down and do this match? I'm mm. like, okay. Oh. Stock Remington 700 tactical, basically an M24 clone, uh, no detachable magazine, a fixed power 10 mil dot scope with a BDC dial. I mean, it was a it was it's an M24 clone. Yeah, and I was I was shocked. And Shannon K was the one. Shannon K was like, "Hey, bub, you don't have a detachable magazine. Take some tape, put your rifle on the side of the rifle." I'm like, "Okay." And I was speed loading for most of the match because right. I didn't have a national magazine. And yep. all right, yeah, I need to up my game. <laughs> um, so I left the army and then rolled into uh, retirement and came back here to Central Texas. And then I saw the first pro am startup. So it was kind of like I started into it, went to a match, did some did some training courses and everything in 2012. Then I had to back off because I had a transition out of the army get set back in here in Texas and then I saw the first Pro-Am which was 2014. Right. Yep. So, yep. I went to the first Gap Grind Pro-Am. Uh, I ROed the the PRS finale here in Texas that was up at Kevin Elper's ranch, the rifle ranch, 2014. Mm -hmm. And met a lot of people there and it's been full throttle since the Pro-Am and the, the rifle ranch. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, in New Zealand, we have what we would at the moment just call field shooting or maybe uh, it's precision rifle, but it's not as, it's not quite as, um, refi refined's not the right word, but maybe not as evolved as a PRS is it. So it's becoming more and more focused by my observation, the PRS on, on the, the, the speed and the positional side of it. But we are still yeah. at the point where, which is actually really good. You'll have guys who are background of target shooting coming in and then a lot of the hunters coming in who are also, yeah, box, don't have the box mags. They're just running, you know, they're single feeding or loading up the top in between as well. Um, yeah. But more and more guys, I think, are just seeing it as a um, an alternative, uh, like viable sport to get into. 
Um, so it's, it's growing really quickly, but uh, certainly at the moment, Australia over the ditch from us, they've now got the PRS as a series starting up over there. So logically and certainly we're working towards something, something sort of similar down here, just a little bit more often, a little bit more structured. But um, for a lot of us, myself included, we're sort of just looking over there and watching and trying to inhale as many videos and info and uh, as much stuff as you can, basically, because we are sort of, you know, way down the other, other side of the planet, basically. You mentioned field shooting. There's, there's, it's funny you mentioned that because maybe we'll go into this a little later, but there's a... Uh, there's different matches. Different match directors have different different flights. Yeah. Yep. Different. So there's field matches still going on with the PRS um, and the NRL style feel to it. Yep. But then if you go to certain other matches at certain other ranges, you're going to have the running gun, multiple barricades, shoot house. You know the very the the sixty to seventy percent positional hmm. versus prone out in the field so there is a fine this season because there's so many matches it's more diverse in the style of matches yeah um and that's just knowing in you know having the resources some of these ranges like shannon k's range k&m core they have the infrastructure built up to do all these barricades and, and different lanes whereas if you go out to you know oklahoma you're doing 70 percent prone on troop lines out to 1,200 yards, mm. um, and very little barricade. So, and smaller targets because that's the wind colors match. So you have these different, right, different styles and matches still going yep. on. Well, it's the same thing here. We we I think land is a big limitation for a lot of people where the space to shoot and and. New Zealand's North Island, South Island, South Island is, um, you know, I mean the the I think I forget what exactly. There's nearly half the population is up here in Auckland. There's more people in Auckland than there is in the whole of the South Island, which geography is probably bigger than the North Island. So as you go yeah. south, you notice the distances get out further because they've got more farms, more stations down there that they can shoot. So if you go down South Island, you're going to be shooting long distances with the big guns, whereas the further north you get, it seems that we're, we're closer in that the the, um, the cartridges are slightly smaller and we're probably shooting a little bit faster with, with tighter time limits. It's how we make up for the overall distance. Okay. Um, yeah, I yeah, but like you yeah. say, every every match director here has got their own flavour and their own preference normally from their backgrounds. Um, I I had a background in Ipswich Pistol, so I tend to like getting people running and short of breath and lots of quick snappy shooting. So that's, yeah. yep. Um, so one thing I was thinking earlier with your military background and, and generally with like the PRS and NRL, is, is it a pretty even mix of non-military background and civilian background involved in that actual in those shooting sports over there have you noticed the lean one way or the other i would say it's more civilian mm. uh, reason being is uh at least circa 2012 20, 2013 we were in the tail end of our operation iraqi freedom and a lot of veterans um just a lot weren't out of the military yet i mean mm. people transitioning out of and retiring out of the army all the time, but uh, I think back then as well, it wasn't widely known, and the it, PRS wasn't as known as it is today. Yeah. So now I'm, you're seeing there's way more civilians involved. I mean, it was started by hunters yeah. up here in, in, in Stevensville, Texas, for Germans. A bunch of guys going out hunting, and that, that's the PRS. Actually, field matches 
been going on for about 20 years. Mm. Um, and I have to date it back to Frank Galley and, and Jacob Bynum and some of the old, the old guard, old school, uh, Rich Elpers, and just, just a lot of old school matches that were field matches. Yep. It's been going on for a while, and I think it's, uh, it's, it's always been a civilian heavy as opposed to the military, uh, the active military involved in it has always been there. Mm. But now we're starting to see where the Army, Marine Corps are picking up that this is a viable training yeah. option and, and, and assets because just look at the, the last USOC sniper competition, they were using tripods and shooting bags. And there are still a lot of people going, ah, you don't need to use tripods and shooting bags. The Army doesn't use that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they do. You know, we don't race the Indy 500 and Model Ts, and we don't fly on right brother airplanes. <laughs> yeah. So the, the technology is evolving. The sport's evolving. And with it, the shooters have to evolve. Mm. And, I mean, that doesn't mean you have to run the whiz-bang cartridge that everyone's running. If you want to run TAC division, you run a 308 or a yep. 223. And guess what? People have gotten top 25, top 30, and top 40s with a 308. So it depends on you know what you want to do with it. Mm. And um, but all the other ancillary gear, bags, shooting bags, ballistic apps, you know, kestrels, phone apps. I mean, geez, geoballistics, right here. Been using it. It's been great. Kestrels. I mean, these are now standard issue to Marine Corps and Army snipers. Mm. I mean, now they're being now tripods are being used and shooting bags. So I don't, I, I don't think it's going to be too long before you start seeing shooting bags uh, being picked up on you know an NSN for the Army or Marine Corps. Yeah. You know, here's your here's your standard issue bag for shooting, and it's also mm. a pillow. Trust me, those things. I wish I would have had shooting bags when I was in the army. That thing would have made a great field pillow instead of hauling around wrapped up styrofoam. <laughs> it's been a, it's sort of been a um, a bit of a trend, I think, with the interviews I've done over the last year and a bit or whatever it is, is guys talking about the the competition side. Yeah, and noticing that it was getting fed back onto the military side, and, and I think it is competition is often a case. It's a good. Um, experimenting or experimental bed because you don't have any gear limit well you do have gear limitations you don't have gear limitations in the same way that the military is going to have so it's yeah. like you say it's a case of well if something's going to let us do something better it's adopted very quickly the techniques are sort of adjusted to deal with that gear and it, the 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 um the technique and the equipment side of thing just evolves a lot quickly i think in competition for any kind and then filters back a little bit um onto the yeah. military side of things it's it's definitely and there's there's and sadly to say on on the in the army side of the house on the big army not the conventional because there's two different worlds in the army sure there's there's conventional and then there's the special operations side things move slow on the conventional side mm -hmm. and that's where I was at yeah reason being is because I see the things are adopted and how quickly just having friends on the special operations side and they tell me yeah we're doing this this and this. I'm like, okay, that would have never happened on the conventional side. Because mm. you have institutional stagnation. Yeah. People, and thank God, and I know we're getting a little bit off topic of precision, but this is marksmanship. Um, thank God the Army picked up the new rifle marksmanship TC training circular that was uh, 
put out because it evolves marksmanship. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with precision rifle. You know, if you think someone should be running an old 308 with no brake, with a fixed 10 power scope running mill dot reticle, no Christmas tree, and MOA BDC dials, you're living back in 2000s. Mm-hmm. You got to evolve with it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's simple. If you don't evolve with the technology that's present and available, you're only hindering yourself to continue to do operations. Same with the. And, us in the PRS on the civilian side, we're able to do that. As soon as something comes out that's brand new and it's released to market, we can go get it. Bam. Yep. Yep. It takes five to ten years for Big Army to get, oh, we'll look at that. Mm. Mm. We'll make the decision here. No, no, until someone with enough money or influence says, yeah, you need this. And they grease the wheels and it becomes. So that's the problem that Big Army case. SOCOM? They stopped at the 6.5 Creed. Yeah, a little late, maybe. I mean, 260 6.5 Creed, they're adopting it for precision rifle. Mm-hmm. Kind of late. They're, they're, they're catching up. Yeah. Problem with just the bureaucracy of, of being in the military. They have to go through the testing. They have to go through all those channels. Yeah. The civilian side, same thing with shooting. We get way more ability to shoot. We get way more ability to ammo because it's on your budget. It's not on the government's budget. Right. No. It's timeline, and you can go to the range whenever you want. You go to Fort Hood, and you try to get on a range and schedule a range, it's like pulling teeth. Mm-hmm. And you have to go through all the safety processes and everything else. So if you think that the Army gets a lot of time to shoot, <laughs> one of the biggest jokes ever. <laughs> they don't. At least my time, they don't. Yeah. That's the Army. Yeah. Special operations, small mission, small, specialized small, small units they get to do whatever they want because they have the budget and ability to do it, and that's their job. Mm. So. Well, similar down here, and with the pistol side of things as well, is that whenever there was a small group of um, military and police who would be coming out shooting the competitions, and whenever they were, they were encouraged and they were welcomed in because the reality is, is here locally as well, and even the police don't have much in the way of actual firearms training, um, and considering that most of them whether it's on the hip or in their in their vehicles because when generally they're not walking around um carrying here they've got access to firearms and maybe get to shoot them once or twice a year and that's a recipe for disaster obviously you know and and which is is just not to me i don't think it's fair on them basically it's a, no, it so it's a it's a it's a big responsibility to lump onto somebody without like the amount of training that they should have behind it at the yeah. same time so so the last Four matches I've been to, there has been active duty military there, but it's maybe like four or five at most. Yeah, yeah. It's, they have to get approval and timing, and if they're in a unit that you know, is in the middle of a training cycle, they'll say no. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the Army Marksmanship Unit is almost, it, they, they have free, they don't have free reign to go to every match, but they're at almost every match. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we represented at almost every match. In fact, it was Ben Cleland and Brandon Green at the Lone Survivor, but they were shooting um, not under the the marksmanship uh, team banner. They were on they were on their own. So, uh, uh, but like you know, Tyler Payne, Scott Peterson, Todd Pace. Todd Pace won the tactical division last year. Um, you know, the, the the marksmanship unit is very very active in in that side and that's mm-hmm. their job that's yep. the army and ship unit that's what they get paid to do yeah so hopefully we're at a lot of matches. 
So I had a look on the um, the PRS website recently, and you're am I right in thinking you're shooting tactical or production? I'm shooting tactical right now, yeah. Tactical, okay. So for people who don't quite know, what what does the tactical division in the understanding of division is a way of splitting up the 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 shooting um, the shooting into different equipment regulations and probably shooting regulations. What is the tactical division? So people kind of understand. So, tactical division was instituted to allow police and military. Uh, personnel to use their service weapons and duty weapons. So in the state side, a lot of military is still using 175 grain um, 308, mm -hmm. uh, 35 grain uh, M118 LR or, or an equivalent. So law enforcement using 175, 168 grain in their rifle. So what the TAC division allowed was for everyone using their service rifles or duty weapons to be in their own division and it yep. also allowed anyone that wanted to you know doesn't have an open gun or has you know they're a 308 fan and they can run their 308s and be competitive in that division mm -hmm. um, so last year uh, I ran pack division um, started mid-season because both my open guns went down so I had oh. been girl, uh, had a swap out a trigger and it took a little bit longer than expected to get those open guns back and I wanted to remain competing. So I dusted off the 308 trainer, slapped it in one of my J. Allen chassis, tightened it down, got it zeroed, and went to town. And five matches later, I was qualified for the PRS finale and went out and shot. So this year, um, just because I had I was using my trainer rifle, I got another action to find Deviant Elite, and I said, okay, I'm going to use one of my Deviant actions, get a, get a 308 spun up, got the barrel, went to Redbeard Gunworks down in Corpus Christi, Texas. Um, Brian Hundle and the whole uh, Redbeard crew, they got a 308 spun up for me, and I'm shooting prime ammo at 2,600 feet per second. And I'm going to run TAC Division until I either uh, reach 290 points or I max out 300. Once that's done, going back to open. Right, right. So, um, from because what were you shooting in open then? Cartridge. Uh, shooting a combination of uh, six Creedmoor yep. and six Mount Creedmoor. Okay. I dabbled. I and I dabbled. I mean, I dabbled. I'm talking maybe two matches and six six by four seven, and just could not get a good load. Right. And I was like, all right, step this barrel down, get it rechambered. And that's what <laughs> I did. I went right back to 6 Creed. Um, and 6.5 Creed, I mean, the, the ammo choices now, plus I'm running prime ammo. Yeah. It's, and it's stupid not to go with, with 6.5 Creed for me, at least. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm reloading considerably. Uh, and now I'm running box ammo and prime prime ammo is doing it for me. Mm. We've uh, we're yet to see like we don't have prime down here in New Zealand. I don't know if we ever will. It might just market size just might not quite work for it. We've got certainly some of the better ammo now turning up, but um, it's still I think the realm to really get the most out of it. We still are having to reload for a lot of lot of things down here. You can get yeah. six five Creed match ammo. I've been shooting um, playing with one of the ticker the TAC A ones and just got the Hornaday match to do it. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be. It may do if if we get more field shooting. Certainly, six fives are, are taken off as, here as much as they are over there. Um, you know, so it, it, it's happening. Guys are switching over from what their old calibers were to, to the smaller side of things. 
So, yeah, it'll be, I don't know. I think we're a couple of years behind maybe where you are. It'd be nice to see something like Prime come down here. Maybe. We'll, see. well, we'll let, see. Me, uh, let me let me talk to uh, the powers that be at Prime. So, mm. direct phone number. So, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, you know somebody. Tomorrow. Yeah. I, I, well, I'm... <laughs> I know the CEO and I know the director of business operations. Yeah. Their director of business operations right now shooting the Masterpiece Arms match mm -hmm. along with Regina and a yep. couple other, and Jen from Team Prime. Uh, Jim's probably back in California relaxing. Um, so, yeah, let me uh, let me ask them and see what their thoughts are and uh, mm. we'll, we'll get back on that. Uh, yeah. Rewind. You asked me about TAC Division. Yep. Um, the, the bullet, the bullet. Uh, the caliber restriction, of course, is 223 and 308. You can't run anything like 223 Ackley Improved or any 308 Palma or any other 30 cal deviation from from 308. So it has to be 308, 308 Winchester yeah. and it's 3 Remington. No Ackley Improved, no Palma, no nothing, nothing else. Nothing hotted up. So you're all even, even keep. Even, it evens it out to a point. Yeah. Now, you can game a little bit, and I, when I, I call the reloading game because you can sit there and make your 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 secret sauce hyper fast 308 round running you know a 175 grain Sierra Match King and try to push it 2800 feet per second and hope you don't get chronographed. Right. Uh, 2800 feet per second is the speed limit. Yep. So you if you want to push up to 2750, 2780. By all means, you can do it. It's mm. still a 30 cal bullet. So you're still catching the wind the same as some other people. Maybe yep. a two, three tenths difference. Um, two, two, three, same thing. Guys have, I think it's a 77 grain restriction, 78 grain restriction uh, on the bullet. Uh, you can't pass 2,800 feet per second. Mm. So uh, actually, I. Yeah, two two three, same same speed. Twenty twenty hundred is the baseline for three oh eight. I'd have to look at the two two three. Sure. Mostly everyone in TAC division is running the three oh eight. Now, when I say the bullet the the projectile restriction, people can go one fifty five grain. But the intent is one sixty eight, one seventy five. But one seventy seven or if someone runs a one fifty five grain and that that's up for PRS to say yes or no, but as the instructions read, as the rules read, nothing over 178 grain. So right. juggernaut, 185, not allowed. Yeah. But if someone wants to run a 168 out of a 30 inch barrel, sure, run it. Um, that's that's their call. So mm. I use a 26 inch barrel, one in 10 twists suppressed, and run prime at 2600 feet per second. I haven't had. Yeah, the chronograph guy hasn't had to chronograph his, his ammo in the last three matches because it, <laughs> I've screwed it out up to twelve hundred yards, and I haven't. Had, I've had maybe to adjust, maybe at most five feet per second, six feet yeah. per second. I mean, minute. The the it the, the prime ammo is consistent. Yeah. 308 is very consistent. Well, it's what what amazed me because I previously I'd been reloading, but I thought for the 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 review I was doing, the idea was an out of a box solution for people to go do this sort of style of field shooting. So I thought, oh, we'll go back to factory ammo for it. And it astounded me how big the ES and the SDs were on there because I'm so used to be drilling down for reloading yeah. for single digits. Um, 
enough that you know initially you're kind of looking at the crony going I, 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 is something wrong is something right and then you you have to just reset for for what we've got down here our expectations <laughs> of what we can get whereas everyone i've talked to about the primes i'm not trying to turn it into a prime advert but everyone i've talked about the prime has been yes those those figures are just so low that it's um close enough that yeah it just isn't worth bothering the extra time and effort I have to go through to reload even my 308 match ammo, um, that's just not worth it. So. Yeah, that's that also comes to if I'm going back when the Oklahoma matches and even they still do Oklahoma running anything factory ammo, you're going to have a rough time. They mm. put targets that are very small, very far ranges because. The the heat stroke match and the shoot for the green, my they they were win caller. If you were a spot on win caller, you would you would do great at those matches. Right. And that's the Oklahoma style. Lay on your belly for seventy percent of the match and shoot. Um, some of those targets out there for your vertical dispersion, your ES mm. will factor in whether you're going to hit and be low or over. Yep. I mean that's just the nature of the beast. So. When I roll up to the heat stroke or, or Oklahoma with a 308, and I know my what my ES is, it's not large. Yeah, it's, it's not like aw shocking bad, but I know that okay, I might be over under, especially a one MOA diamond at a thousand yards. Yeah, it's gonna be a little tough. Mm. So that's just one of those. Yeah, I'm gonna send it and hope it hits. <laughs> it doesn't. Think math. Do everything you can, and then it's up to yep. the maths. <laughs> <laughs> there's, some, there's some stages that are just in some matches you just gotta go yeah, gotta send it I mean yeah. even some of the best shooters want to burn some stages down because it sucks yeah it's the way it is I did a, I did an article recently comparing and yeah just using it was a cold ball they got the error budget in there and just yeah showing it to what distance with what target size where does that ES actually become an issue and um, then, yeah, relating that back to, so if you're shooting a, a comp like some of ours, we've still got decent-sized targets because, yeah, uh, you know, we're not, uh, we, we haven't, we don't have as many competitions, so there's no point putting these tiny targets out all the way because then over half the, half the um, field won't actually hit anything and no one has as much fun as they need to. So we're sort of early where we want lots of people hitting targets, enjoying it, maybe one or two that's a stretch. People but, want to hit targets and enjoy themselves. Yeah, that's it. It's not... <laughs> 50% hit ratio for the top shooter kind of like demoralizes the rest of yeah. the crowd. But it's a great gut check. Yes. Yeah. It tells people if I'm going to continue to do this sport, and I just went through one of the hardest matches ever designed in mankind history, <laughs> I'm going to keep doing it. Or screw this, I'm going to just go back to plinking at my rifle range and yeah. eat the internet. So there are separator matches. There are separator <laughs> matches. And... You know, for people who've been doing it long enough, there are separator seasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, going from the the open and the the we'll call them the smaller cartridges back to the three hundred eight. Did you find that your shooting style? You had to adjust your shooting style a lot. Um, and I suppose where this ties into as well, something we've been watching is developing, seems to be developing, it might have been already developed for a year and we're just catching up, is this whole notion of free recoiling, the, the lighter cartridges. Is that something you can even get away with with your 308? Or do you really... Yeah, um, I'm going to reach back. So about the same time that I switched, 
the game changer that was last it was last year game changer came on yeah and then, uh we bad i use and i don't know hopefully you don't see the shirt sorry dave and and robert i'm wearing it the sergeant shooting solutions shirt <laughs> it's a magic shirt i got it but i'm i i do run we bad so yeah. i'm talking about we bad sure so um there are many fortune cookies which is basically a, a smaller version of their fortune cookie, which is a their version, and I'm not going to say it's their version of the game changer. It's 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 their I, it's their their bar- on a barricade bag. Yeah, yep. uh, it's Latin's out. They're a Texas company. Um, I also I got a lot of love for Armageddon gear too. I use a lot of their products um, as well. Um, but Dave and Dave and Robert are close to me and. Uh, I give them as much support as, as they have given me, uh, runners. So I found out that free recoil with 308, not so much. Mm-hmm. I tried it. So basically for me, and it's to talk about this is subjective because everyone's shooting style is different. Yeah. Everyone runs their gun different. It's, it's a combination of how their gun's set up. The rifle setup, their optics, what bags they're using, their body style, and just a lot of variables. So one method will not work for someone else. So that's a big thing of finding out. For me, I found out that getting the rifle level and having as much as me off of the gun was helpful, but not all off the gun. So I don't do free recoil. Sure. Basically... I have less pressure that I put my my cheek on the stock. I got this beard. As soon as this beard, the fuzzy touches the, the <laughs> cheek weld, I know I'm good. Yeah. I don't press against the cheek weld because, especially after running gun stage, heart rate goes up, my heart moves, and that reticle starts going boom, boom, boom. Right. And I gotta I gotta be off the rifle, so my head sometimes is cocked back. But that shoulder, that J. Allen I have. Yeah, where's my J. Allen? I have a Jalen here somewhere. Yep. Jalen chassis. So this basically is just barely touching inside of my shoulder blade. Sure. Just like. And that controls the recoil. So this sits flat on the bag. And I know this doesn't happen. My my six five is coming back from gunsmith this week, so <laughs> So, but it sits, and when it's balanced, when the barrel's in there and everything's on, this is where I can sit right in here with the magazine pressed against, yep. and it's flat. Yep. So all I can do is adjust elevation, and just and just and push the wind hold, and hold, and that rifle stays on on target. Mm-hmm. So I found that out doing a lot of dry fire practice and going to the range and working on um, some really wobbly barricades that I built for my, my local range because they didn't have any barricades built there. Yeah. I built probably the jankiest, wobbliest barricade because if you can hit 500 yards on a 10-inch plate off of that barricade, you'll be able to hit off any barricade in the U.S. Hmm. It is, I'm talking that barricade won't fall apart, but it is just really yep. wobbly and it moves a lot. Yep. And did that on purpose. So, because there's a lot of barricades that are steel, Mm-hmm. Um, Lone Survivor has barricades that they, you know, Dave Ferguson and Prentice Wing put in barricades that are steel, welded steel. Like, you're, they're not moving. Yeah. So that's awesome. Your rifle can just rest against there, 
And if you want to do free recoils, great. Paul Reed has done many videos with his stock folded on his KRG, and he sits there and just pulls the trigger and goes, on you, mate, impact. Like, ah, that's with a six-dasher. Yeah. A little bit of no recoil. You can't do that with a 308. That's no. terrible. Yeah. So um, the heavier the rifle, also, uh, I run in you're going to think this is crazy 23 pound rifle loaded that is a prs that is a j allen with a gen 2 with a defiance action an m40 or m24 contour barrel a suppressor on the end yep. bipod arca rail full magazine and that's it it's almost 20 yeah i'd say 22.5 last mm -hmm. time i weighed so that 308, that rifle absorbs a lot of the recoil yep. itself. Yep. That's why I love the heavier chassis and I go with a heavier setup. Mm -hmm. It's not a, a pack gun. It's not, I wouldn't, it's why I do not do some of the competition dynamics matches that are, you know, hike five miles. Yep. One, yep. I'm not quite back in shape to do that. <laughs> not going to hide that fast. <laughs> You know, I'll walk a couple miles, but I'm not going to go do a Tom Fuller, Dave Steinbach, you know, sniper adventure challenge where yeah. I have to hike over a mountain for 24 hours. There's, there's a few people uh, down here keep threatening to do something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it's the same thing. I'm, I'm, I've lost my pack fitness as well. It would probably kill me. It'd probably kill most of us. But yeah, yeah. It's the flavor that you want to go to the matches. So yes. if you, you know, some matches you can drive your, your truck or your car right up to the stage mm -hmm. and you can carry the kitchen sink. Yeah. You can carry your two tripods, all your bags, you know, the extra spotting scope, the laser range, laser range finder, drop bombs by apparatus you got, and you should be good. Yeah. Other matches you got to pack everything and walk it in. So you have to kind of be smart about that. Yeah, we're, we're seeing a trend like we don't again South Island you go down there You're going to be shooting off at least a couple of stages with tripods longer distance. It's just now quite normal um, Whereas up here we don't see as many of them yet I mean, I've got my rig right over the shoulder I've been having a play off it for a little while, which is you know great to shoot off, but um, yeah. Up here we tend to have a bring whatever you want But yeah, we're moving towards at the beginning of a stage you have to have it up off the ground Yeah, and then after that what it carry whatever the hell you want you know for a long time we've had big arg because i i bring in a lot of different rear bags and bits and pieces like that and there was not arguments but but jiving jibbing and jiving about you know one rear bag or um you know but it's changing and we're evolving as yeah. well because it's like oh actually yeah right okay let's stop stop resisting you know and, and just so that you bring up a good point is it, it, oh you can't oh, only one rear bag only you should only be shooting Hey, whatever the matchbook says, and if yeah. the RO's brief it for the first squad, they run that squad. They run every other squad that way through the entire match. Yeah. Allow tripods, tactical tables, every bag known to creation hmm. to help secure. Then okay, it's game on. And a lot of people do think outside of the box. Hmm. Um, you know, they'll drag the water cooler that's there at the stage and bring it up as support. They'll bring milk. They'll bring a milk crate. That was, you know, by, you know, being used by the range. Yeah. If the rule book says it's, it's, it's good to go, anything goes, by gosh, anything goes. Mm -hmm. Deal with it. Oh, gamer. Guess what? He just gained his way to extra points while you're sitting there whining. Yep. So, um, 
and there was a period where I, when I was first getting into it, I was like, oh, that's all gaming, that's gaming. Now I'm like, what, what can we do? Hmm. What are we allowed to do? And I go to the ROs at a, to a stage, and the first questions, the first questions I ask during this after the state brief is, okay, what gear is restricted? What's not allowed? What can we do? We can't. The second question is, where's everyone missing at? Hmm. The pattern of everyone missing at that stage. <laughs> I want to know where they're missing because if everyone's going high and right. That means I need to push more left and drop. Yep. yep. And you can look at the back of the berm or yes. you can ask the RO that, hey, where's everyone missing? Oh, they're all over the place. Well, then, okay. But if you see that line of dirt that's just <laughs> yeah. out high and right of every target, you're like, yep. everyone's going high and right. There's something yeah. going on. Yeah, there's something. It's talking to me here. It's something, something yeah. I should pick up on. I, I, I picked that one up from, from Jim C. Thank you, Jim, because it. It got me extra points the last two matches. Mm. Bugging the ROs. Where's everyone missing that? Where's everyone missing that? <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> it's something we've had recently, and we've had it last last shoot we did. Is was, I think, because again, because there's not so many competitions, because it's a little bit younger. At one end, we have the guys who are there for a, a fun day, and they're very pushing the practical. How do I apply this to my hunting side of things? And then you've got the other guys who are happily gaming and looking for any advantage and playing it and um it's interesting because I, I see both because coming from ipsic pistol it's the same thing it will game anything any way we can do it quicker that's part of the game um, yeah are, are you and it might be a thing that it's match dependent as well but it, generally are you seeing that the the prs and and the nrl similar things are moving towards more and more of that gaming side of it and less of the practical side or is that still more of a match director intent behind it uh, one it's the match director is the match director's intent in the, in the match book will dictate dictate the match. So yeah. if a match director puts this stage as anything goes, then it's anything goes. Yeah. If the match director, and uh, Jacob Bynum's known for this, Jacob Bynum's been running matches for a very long time at Rifles Only. Uh, there was many matches that were one bag and sling only. Mm. No tripods, nothing else. One bag, a sling only. That's it. Yeah. And you know, you used one bag or a sling, and that that was it for the the whole match. And even some stages are sling only mm. or nothing. Yeah. So, and I mean, I remember doing a stage at Kevin Elper's ranch at the rifle ranch where it was no bags, and you had to shoot prone. So how do you do that? I had to bust out the Hawkins position. Mm. I had to get my fist up there, and luckily, because it didn't say it in the matchbook when the ROs allowed it. I could put a shooting glove on, a big Creedmoor shooting glove, make a fist, and now I had a Hawkins position. Right. Yep. If, if For those unfamiliar with the Hawkins position, it's getting the buttstock of the rifle into the ground and using your fist as forward support and squeezing it or lowering it. And basically the rifle stock, the buttstock's in the ground, and that's how it's... If you can get it on your shoulder, great, but that's what's absorbing the recoil. Mm. And you're squeezing the fist to get the the elevation uh, yeah. on the front front support. And that's Hawkins. You're getting low to the ground on that. Mm. I remember that stage. I was 2015, um, and that was, that was how it was set up. So I think the PRS, now of all the matches going on, uh, you have a wide array of different um, 
different style of matches, field matches, you know, the run and gun matches. So you get a good mix. Yeah. But match director dictates. Yeah. If you've been shooting long enough, and some of these match directors, you know their style. Yeah. Going into an Oklahoma match, it's going to be two blind. Yep. Long distances, small targets, lots of wind. You know, when you go to K&M, it's going to be a lot of barricades, mm-hmm. a lot of movement, a lot of uh, dynamic thinking on how am I going to, you know, go from this this obstacle to this barricade, and how is my bipod going to be set, or what bags am I going to use? Mm-hmm. You go to Core, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, they're kind of set the same. You go up to, um, I'm going to Spearpoint. I've never been to the Spearpoint Ranch next weekend. First time there, so I'm kind of like, mm, it's wide open. Yeah, maybe some barricades there. Cool. It's going to be an open range type match. Uh, if you go to here to, uh, I already mentioned rifles only, but if you go to Lone Survivor, you know you're dealing with a good mix, and you mm-hmm. also have sometimes difficult wind wind patterns there. So it's just knowing the, the match directors and their and their style. So talking more about the, the bags, it's something I've sort of gone through and, and, and it, it's a personal question. I'm just trying to figure this out myself is that the, the, from the originally when there was only, there was like a, the, the rectangular rear bag and there was a squeezy rear bag and that were your only options, you know, and I, I brought them in from the States and I was, I think I had a tab and the THLR. Um, yep. So I went from that and then um, over time you started getting these options of the lightweight rear bags so short action precision i think armageddon do them i think they all probably have their options but i'm finding myself now wanting to go back to a heavier rear bag rather than a lightweight now do you have a preference have you sort of um found there's a difference on it i'm just finding a lightweight i find my socks slipping on it basically two bags that in the last at least this this season two bags that i've used 90% of the time Mm. have been the mini fortune cookie yeah or rear bag and barricade bag and everything else in between and occasionally a pump pillow yeah which on a bandolier that i put underneath and so if i'm going into a kneeling position it's already right here and i'm down on it yeah so um this serves as a rear bag and a barricade bag and i can throw it sideways either left or right upside down or on the actual barricade and this right here that my 308 sits on mm. and doesn't move yep so um i think it's it it and i there was a couple of matches back in 2015 and i had like five bags i'm gonna carry all these bags in because i need different options um, Matt Rousseau just, you know, put a post up on Instagram and he's like, two bags, a rear bag, like the, the fortune cookie, I think he has something similar and then a pump pillow. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Which That's is, well, it was a conversation, something I was talking to with, um, Todd Hodnett recently and it was actually talking yeah. about, um, other electronic gear and all this other stuff that we add in and add and add and add and add and then you seem to get this point where you then go, okay, let's just strip a lot of that back away <laughs> and get yeah. back to the Kester on the range for, or, you know, and it seems to be at the, for me at the moment, yes, similar to yourself. It's just getting to the point that I've, I've got a game changer, but playing with that also on the rear as well, because it, it does a great job of both. Why am I, why carry yeah. two separate bags for it? It's just another no, thing I'm, to leave behind. 
I, I was carrying four, four or five bags, a small little grippy bag, uh, game changer when before I got linked up with Wee we Bad, and then you know now I'm carrying the the fortune cookie and that. I mean the the tack pad, the pump pillow, the berry bag. You have all the options, and that's where you have to find out what works. And it mm-hmm. took some time to find out what works for me. And um, you know, so those two those two bags. Yep. That's it. Now on the electronics side of the house, um, you bring up a good point. I run geoballistics because it allows me to to, to go into the electronics house. I can put my whole my whole and this is competition centric. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. My whole stage in the app from start to finish, all the targets in the order that I'm going to shoot them in, and have all the data right there. Mm-hmm. So you input it in, and it's there. Now, I do use the Kestrel because you can Bluetooth link the Kestrel to the app. Yeah. And this can give you the app, the data, or you can use the little we- weather meter. But I already have the Kestrel. Yeah, yeah. So if this goes down, now I have a backup. Yeah. If this goes down, I have pre-printed out DA charts for my rifle for, for DA, 500, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000, and, and onward, depending yep. on where I'm at. So now I have one, two, three backups. And if it gets really bad, really bad, and I, <laughs> people have already laughed at me because I pulled them there. I still carry a mill dot master in my bag. Sure. It's collecting dust, yep. but it's still at the bottom of my bag, along with a whole laminated sheet of ranging formulas and range estimation, target estimation formulas. If it got that bad, <laughs> or it called for it, and you weren't allowed to use yeah. any of this. Yeah. That, and then also, lensatic compass, because the compasses on these don't always and aren't always accurate. Mm. This will always be accurate. Yeah. Unless you're sticking to a metal post. Yeah, or a big metal watch on. That was always a good yep. one. I used to watch guys holding their, yeah, holding their, uh, their um, compasses in the <laughs> same hand, a big steel thing. Like, pass it over. Oh, look, we get a different thing on this hand. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, I take my, I take my watches off the match. Okay. Um, yep. I, I take it off. But this, this, this brings me back to my old days as being a, a scout. Yeah. Love this thing. And people were like, "What's he doing?" Like taking an asthma because your phone's probably about 20 degrees off. Yeah. And your crystal's probably about 15. Even though I did the update, um, it's still, there's still deviation sometimes. Mm-hmm. Even when I compass calibrate, it's still a little bit of deviation. Yeah. I, and maybe I'm focused too much on that. And I should just go and shoot because there's people winning matches just with the crystal. But I think it's an interesting thing. Like I know a guy who's um, reloading and he's cutting kernels, you know. And and the the reality is is that for the distance and everything, it probably you could do the maths. It probably doesn't make a difference. But when he gets out there and puts that ammo into his firearm, he knows that that's not a variable. And he does it over everything. I mean, it's not just like that's his one thing. And he's a very good shooter because he's removed every single variable until it's just him. And that's sort of his almost his. Uh, work up towards it, you know, he just has to get rid of those other things. Whereas other people yeah. would just be like, for me, I'm just like, oh, I know my how close I need it to be, and it's nowhere near cutting a kernel of powder in half. No. But that I'm comfortable with that, so I don't have in the back of my head, maybe I should have cut that kernel in half. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think. 
maybe Jake Vibbert does that and he just doesn't want to tell anyone. But... So, I'm sure some guys do. But so so going going back to your geoballistics on the phone. Yeah. So with your essentially your range card when that's done out of that, are you then working off that or are you transferring it over to like a, um, a risk coach or a, oh, there you go? Okay, yep. Business card actually I got these from uh, Joe Baker from Geoballistics this past weekend. Yep. And, and I put these, I, I fill these out with the data, with in, you know a bracket wind call two miles per hour. Uh, so if it's a fourteen to sixteen mile per hour wind, I'll put two wind calls. Yep. in the wind collection, and then it will go on a Sidewinder Industries yep. that goes right onto the side of the rifle. Yeah, so sure. I got multiple multiple targets. Um, this one can hold up to six. Uh, if there's targets more than that, and it's not like you know shoot five out and shoot five back of the same ranges, then all I can do is just take a paper clip and put another card off to the side. Yeah, it's raining. I have laminated cards that yeah. have waterproof dry erase, and then I can just. Hold on. I've only had to do this once, not in Vegas, where I had to do double cards. But that's on the side of the rifle. Yeah, and all the information for ten targets or now twelve targets. And Joe just made these little cards because I've been using Magneto Speed business cards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes the range gets lured with uh, Magnus <laughs> business cards, and I gotta go pick them up. My whole bag comes a, a little confetti of Magneto Speed business cards because I'm using them. <laughs> and sometimes I've given them out, and I'm like, hey, dude, there's writing on this. And I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Have you shot the stage yet? If not, here you go. <laughs> hey, there's the stage, so there you go. <laughs> We the I mean the reason I ask it's like at the moment for most of our comps the stages probably don't I don't think have anywhere near the same time limits as what you'll be seeing over um, at a lot of those comps. By observation, am I right in thinking that the average stage time seems to be about ninety seconds for you guys, or do you get longer ones as well? Ninety seconds, two minutes, and then depending on the obstacle or the type of stage. Yeah. Uh, rifles only mouse traps have been three minutes to four minutes. Okay. You're shooting um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You're doing twelve rounds um, or fifteen. I forget how many positions are in there. Wow. Um, but you're moving through a, a mouse trap and climbing up, over, and then down again, and you're shooting um, different positions. So the time limits there. Yeah. So that that's one of the longer stages. Then. Um, there may be a running gun stage that's a little longer. I know New Mexico, uh, they had a 20, 20 round stage that was 10 positions, two rounds each, hmm. and you had a move. And that was, I think that was three minutes. I'd have to go look in the matchbook. Yeah, okay. Um, that was a lot of movement. Yeah. Tate Moots, Charles Tate Moots is a three gunner at heart. And he puts a lot of three gun into his precision rifle matches. So you're like, oh, 10 positions. That's 20 rounds. Two rounds each. That's a lot of movement. Oh, mm. plus two different targets. Right. So now, are you going to dial for one target or are you going to try to dial for each target or, and you know, dial one target in, hold over or under for another? Mm. And where they have that is the wind comes across the, the plane and it's it can be brutal. And oh yeah, it's a short, you know, four hundred yard target. Okay, <laughs> yeah, you've got like ten seconds, fifteen seconds per shot to get it off if you want to stand her time. 
Yeah. So now you have to be dynamic on how many bags am I going to take up? Am I going to take up all these other bags? Or am I going to run this naked and go, you know, rifle on the barricade and, and go for it? Mm. So that's and they didn't do New Mexico this year. Um, so, but I would say ninety seconds now. Yeah. Uh, Jordy Richardson did the Bushnell Lone Star. Day one was two minute stages. Day two was ninety second stages. Okay. So it was the same stage. The you had day one and day two were same stages. Right. Same fire, but the time changed. So people took their time. Day one. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. Two minutes. You get eight rounds off. Day two, ninety seconds. Some people were timing out because they weren't quick. Yep. So and had not switched. Yeah, had not switched over to. Yeah. Yeah. What's well, it's something I noticed. You know, the first time guys come along to a competition, they've never been on the clock before. You know, again, I consider myself lucky. In my background, we had uh, Ipsix. Everything's got a timer. You don't time stages, yep. but everything's on a time. It's it's including everything. Whereas other guys, one, you realize how slow some people actually shoot. When, because they're not used to it, they've got all the time in the world of sorting everything out. Um, or the flip side is the, you give them 90 seconds and they get everything done in 20 seconds and they should have taken... 90 seconds. Yeah, 80 90 seconds. Yeah. Um, so, brings up a good point. Paul Reed, I went, went and trained, got got some training done with him, and he, uh, he, he instilled some good thought process into me on getting down on your first position and finding the target and getting your first round off. Your stage is 90 seconds. You should be getting your first round off within 15 seconds. That's finding the target. You should already have it dialed in. And this goes to pre-fire. If you know your target, your first target's 400 yards. Let's say, for example, PRS skill stage two. 400 yard, 10 inch circle. You have eight rounds and it's two rounds per position. You have 90 seconds. Mm -hmm. How I normally do that stage is I go straight to the far left kneeling because that's a more stable position for me and to get my wind call. If I know if I'm missing left or right, I can see my wind call and adjust off in that more stable position. Right. Then I go to the standing and I work left to right, top, then back down again. And it's been pretty good for me. I'm usually an 80% hit ratio on that now that I've you know gotten the right bag and the right setup and my rifle's balanced. Um, but he, he was get on the target 15 seconds. First two rounds, get up next two rounds, next two rounds. And you should be complete with that in 70, 70 to 80 seconds with 10 seconds to spare. Mm-hmm. Now problem is people rush through it and, or they start shooting and they shoot the same spot over, and over, and over and over again. They don't make any correction. And this is, Another person that, I, and I see him a lot at matches, and I, God, I, I love the guy. He's a grandfather to a lot of us. Rick Reeves, and he'll look at you and go, "Well, it didn't work the first time. You better change." You don't no. <laughs> because it didn't work the first time. You got to yeah. change something. Yeah. So make a win, make a wind call correction. If you, see, if you don't see impact, or the ground stalling up your impact, you, you didn't hit the target. Change something. Yeah. So. So just one thing I think not to clarify because you, but I think for people listening, there's a little something you just said which was just quite interesting. I think it's a good, good, 
just a good approach is that you my understanding you said basically you're going for the most stable position first because that's going to give you potentially the best information that as you get less stable that information is still going to carry through whereas the opposite then the thinking would be is if you go for an unstable uh, position first and I guess people justify it because they figure they might have more time to do it and then the easy ones will be easy but your wind call your adjustments or anything like that are compounded by the fact that you're not stable as well yeah, okay. um, I, yeah. I, 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 when I approach a stage and and I think a lot of people do the same thing hmm. when they approach a stage and there's multiple positions I'm looking for the most stable position first and if that is a kneeling position off of a barricade, I'm going to go with the kneeling position first. Sure. Now, there are some stages that I like, and gravity sucks. Come on, it pulls us down. No matter how big, small, how light your rifle is, yeah. there's some people that start on some stages, especially ladder stages. You'll start at the top and you work your way down, if the stage allows that. Some stages you have to, because the matchbook says you will start at the bottom rung and work your way up. Sure. That's great. You're starting at the bottom. You could possibly get in the prone with a big bag. And you can get a more stable position and get a better wind call. Or you can see where you're impacting on the target to make a correction mm -hmm. seat center mass. And that's something I've paid attention to, especially with 308, since it rocks those targets a little better. Is, is my target swinging on impact? Is it going this way or is it swinging this way? Am I edging it or am I hitting it center? Mm -hmm. If it's shimmy, I know I hit it center. If I hit an edge, that edge is going that way or that way, and I need to make a correction because I might be off the next shot. Yeah. So I do go for the most stable position first. If that is a prone position with the bigger pump pillow because the barricade dictates it, great. If that is a kneeling position with a bag on a, on a skill stage, I'm going to go for it. Because I'm trying to get my wind call down, especially with the 308. Now, guys running the six millimeters and the, and, and the dashers and the BRs, they have less recoil. They can mm -hmm. stay on the glass better. They can control the rifle better. And that comes with dry fire and experience and training. But, you know, I got behind a six Creedmoor that our company owns during one of our range shoot days. And I was like, I am missing this. Mm -hmm. I forgot what a six millimeter recoil was like. Yep. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what, what am I doing to myself? Why am I three away? Yeah. Six millimeter recoil was just like, oh, that's what it felt like. I um I'm coming a little late to the party, but I've basically got a, a six a six mil build on the way down to me, and I'll be swapping out that 308 over my shoulder, which was the first target rifle and has been great, and I'll keep it as a practice rifle because it makes you work for it. Um yep. But it was something, and I think you got on the um, Facebook post when we originally asked for questions for you, I think somebody wanted to know what the biggest caliber you shot without a break or a, or a suppressor on it was. And I think what I observed from locally in New Zealand, again, it's this thing, the further down south you go, the bigger the gun you're expected to shoot. Yeah. Whereas Auckland, it's, it's hard to... Again, I had to explain this to Todd. Auckland. So we, we're in Auckland. It's the, it's the biggest. It's the most urban or metro part of it. Up here, we all, when we're hunting, we all shoot 7mm8s and drink our cappuccinos and our lattes. So obviously, we're all going to be shooting 6mm because we've got 
absolute aversion to recoil and everything like that. But as yeah. I say to people, when I see that first hit hit the target and I can correct and get a second shot off while you're still trying to get back on the target, it's um, yep. just a different purpose. <laughs> yeah. Um, so someone asked the biggest caliber without a break or, or suppressor. Uh, <laughs> military side of the house, that was yeah. a 50 cal, but that had a break. That was a bare 50 cal. Sure. Um, on the civilian side of the house, for matches, uh, I did go to one match. It was a local match here in Texas with a three on win mag. Once, once, <laughs> I'll reiterate once. <laughs> I'll never do that again. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. It was a. It was kind of a joke. I, uh, I grabbed the buddy's three on win mag that didn't have any break on it. You know. <laughs> Yeah, never well, again. No, no, but we have, so, like I said earlier in the piece, we have a lot of hunters who will come along maybe to the first competition and they've got their long-range hunting rig, which is probably a 7mm yeah. or a 300 wind mag or something like that, um, carbon through the whole thing, super lightweight, and then they're just trying to handle this, they handle the recoil for the rest of the day. And it's like, well, the gun was built for one, maybe two shots, and now you're trying to do a string of up to 10 shots through it in a time limit, it's just built for something different. Yeah, it's and I mean that happens here. Hey, I'm going. It happens here in the states all the time. Hey, hmm. you see the post? I'm coming to my first match. I'm bringing my hunting rifle. Okay, great. Get squatted with people that have shot before, and yeah. they're going to help you out. And yeah. that's great about the club matches because you're allowed to give people win calls. You're allowed hmm. to coach them. There's sometimes we, we we have them called squad moms or dads that. Yeah. Hey man, you know, this is my win call for this. You probably need to do this because you're running a 308 or a 30 cal or a 7 millimeter. Um, but most of the times, before anyone even, now that the 6.5 Creedmoor really taken off here, um, most times people are like, oh, I'm just going to go get a Ruger precision rifle and mm -hmm. my scope on and I'll see you out there. Cool. Yeah. So, um, I will say the NRL match they had up at Frontline Defense, I think it was the first match of their season, 301 Mag won it. Hmm. So uh, I'm not going to totally count out saying, hey, stop shooting your 301 Mag. But on the flip side of that, the Marine Corps shooting team did come down to Rifles Only, and they ran their 301 Mags, and they got an eye opener. Hmm. Um, they were shooting barricades in positions that – aren't just conducive for a heavy recoiling weapon yeah well that, that's exactly it I, I shot a comp down in the south island last year i think it was i should have had a bigger gun because a lot of it was long distance a lot of prone quite stable shooting but the distances were further out whereas coming yeah. up and like you said having to shoot up barricades all these oddball positions it wouldn't have been uncomfortable if i had a bigger bigger cartridge up here so it's all horses for courses i think um, yeah. Also, a little different we have in, in New Zealand, for example, is that I can walk into a gun store and buy a suppressor over the counter without even having a firearms license. So every gun will have, certainly every hunting gun, or should do, or every hunting gun, every conk gun, or everything will have a suppressor. And it's like I've got a break. I, I generally run breaks because, again, for competition, I don't worry about the sound. I've got earplugs. It's all good, so I've got breaks. But we get stick for having breaks because everyone's got suppressors. So, yeah. and that I'll tell you what—that seems that's a very surreal thing from my where I'm sitting, looking at what you guys have to go through to, to get basically oh, yeah. what I consider safety equipment. Um. So you're you're gonna see, and 
I'd say now, given the, the rise in suppressors, mm. even with our draconian suppressor laws, yeah, we're still the NFA, it sucks. Um, <laughs> you're, that was my subliminal message right there. Um, you're going to see a 50, I, I'm calling it a 50-50 split, maybe 60-40. I, I'd have to go back and look at the PRS, the, the finale from 2017. I think it was a 36, 34 now. I think it was 35-65 split on suppressor versus brake use. Yeah. Uh, it's just our laws suck when mm. it comes to suppressors. I think it's stupid. Uh, not to get too much on the political side, I think that they, uh, at least on the suppressors, needs to be repealed. There hasn't been a suppressor used in a major crime mm. in decades. And even then, it's one. It's just a way of taxing the people. And yeah. it sucks because... They at matches. It's great when you have a whole squad of people suppressed. The ROs can take their ear, ear earphones and their headphones off, mm. their earphones off, and they can talk. They don't have to yell, and it makes things so much more civil. And then you get someone in the squad that has a break that's like it's a six five or it's a three oh eight, and the break just sounds like a thunder cannon going off right next to you. Yep. And I'm not saying breaks are bad. I mean, I shot a break on my sixth creed for quite a long time before I went to full suppressors and you know some some people will argue that you know you can handle the recoil better the physics are there that some that most brakes just break are better or mitigating recoil um but others will say oh yeah suppressor you know keeps the sound down keeps Mm. the recoil the the recoil pulse and the the loud sound that makes me flinch down I'm like Great. Yep. I'll be honest with you. It, I take my weapon, off, uh, a suppressor off, and I run the 308 or the the 6.5 without a without a can on it, and I'm sometimes I get flinched by the sound. Mm-hmm. I'm not one. I'm not used to it, and two, um, I'm not used to it. I've been running suppressed for the last yeah. two years. Yeah. So uh, that's great. You guys can go over the counter. Wish we had that. That'd be so awesome. Oh God. <laughs> We've got our own oddball laws, but yeah that, yeah, that one's always been a strange one for me that I've, I've sort of looked at. So there was something um, talking about like correcting and, and seeing your misses and stuff like that. I don't know if it was you I saw on Instagram or somebody, they posted it, they used the term putting one into the dirt, which is not actually something that I'd heard um, previously. So what it just got me thinking, and something I've been asking a few, a few people recently, is that if you are in a position where you because we're normally trying to spot our own misses now so we can make our yeah. corrections so what do you do if you get for this vegetation or you can't see what do you do if you can't see that miss you can't see that miss make make some sort of adjustment yeah you have to if you put another one at the same spot 90 percent of the chances you're gonna put another one into that area that you can't you can't see yeah can't. so um if it if, if it's a target that is sitting on a, a a a hill or anything, and there's a lot of brush behind it, and there's no backstop, mm. you can't you missed. Your best bet is to make a correction and go low. Put one into the dirt. Yeah, putting one in the dirt. Um, very few ranges have that though. They they usually have some kind of backstop, or you see some kind of. Uh, impact on the back, but mm-hmm. there are ranges that don't. There's some stages that, if you're high on a couple of stages at Lone Survivor, 
you're into some tree line and you won't get a call. Yeah. I've seen people just burn 10 rounds and nothing because they didn't go low. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes it is better to go to, to drop them low into the dirt, see where you're at, and then make an adjustment. Because if you, you know, if you put one high into a tree line or brush, unless you break a, 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 a branch, kind of signature, you're, you're after a while, man. You are shit out of luck. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I had it recently shooting out to, it was a, a kilometer or just over a K, and I took a shot didn't see anything took another shot and where i was shooting it was on a um uh, road crossing sideways a um, back um, a forestry road basically dropped off oh. both sides had no idea what was going on behind it or forward and same thing part of my brain went oh well let's just keep shooting i'm gonna see something eventually yep. but then the better part of me went i'm just wasting ammo here and then later on looking at my it was the first time shooting at ballistics i was way out I was way out on what my dial-up was, so I was shooting way low, and there was no way I was going to see it, even if I aimed. Yeah, it wasn't going to happen. But yeah, like yeah. you say, a lot of guys will just sit there and, and continue putting more down there, hoping that something changes when nothing will. It won't. I mean, and that's and I run a little acronym in my head that you know if I miss, you know, see see the miss, see or spot, adjust, and then shoot again. So SAS. Right. Who dares win? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, spot or see yeah. the myth. Adjust. Make an adjustment. you got to make an adjustment. And yeah. the only thing you don't make an adjustment is if you know the wind conditions are going to shift and it, you're going to miss again and it's, or, or whatever. But nine, nine times out of ten, hmm. it's going to be that you need to make an adjustment. Don't re- keep repeating failure. You're going to get more failure. Hmm. So if you keep repeating the same thing that made you miss you're going to keep missing. Hmm. So, uh, so that goes into another whole long rabbit hole is how much adjustment do you make? Do you make <laughs> that promise? Some people make too much adjustment. So that comes into experiencing just the rifle and in, in your caliber. Hmm. So and knowing your reticle too, because if you look at some targets at some ranges, the target fills half a mil and you're off by three tenths, do you have to shift another whole half mil or a mil? Mm-hmm. No. Shift three tenths and get back to center and, and send it. Yeah. It was something early on where um, I was working with a guy who was spotting shots for me and I realized halfway through he was correcting me to the edge of the target, not to the center of the target. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a good thing for communication beforehand to explain exactly what everybody's doing. Exactly. So one thing that we don't see down here, but I've seen it a lot of the builds over there at the moment, um, the Jay Allen's being a good example, is there seems to be rails turning up in yep. all the chassis, all the systems. Barker rail. Yes. Um, so you're getting a lot of really right stuff and tripods. Yep. And, and, and shooting off tripods are having the ability to um, put your bipod on Arker rails that you can adjust all the way out to the front yeah. And all the way back. So this allows you to actually negotiate some different barricades. Mm. Um, so say if you have a short barricade like a barrel or a concrete tube you have to shoot off of, you can't have your bipod all the way out top because it's going to bottom on your magazine or on your on your chassis. Right. Yep. So you bring that bipod all the way back, and therefore now you actually have a stable platform. 
Sure. Uh, yep. Or if you have a very short platform, like a short rock or a short piece of wood that is short enough, you can bring the bipod back and get positioned on that and still have bipod support instead of going back. Mm, okay. Because that, that was the question I had because it's like uh, that's the, the, the mount on there is the RSS mount, uh, but just going okay. onto, onto a, um, the Picatinny to, I call it Manfredo, but it'd be the Arca Swiss style, right? Not, not <laughs> funny side thing talking of laws, uh, they're tripods though I can't get and I was lucky to probably get that mount because I believe there's ITAR restrictions on exporting the tripods. The RSS tripods? Yeah, the saw ones. It might have changed, but at the time I was huh. looking at it, they're like, we're not quite the saw issue, but but I can get their photography tripods down here. Okay. <laughs> Go figure. But anyway, <laughs> but yeah, so so I saw the rails and I got the sliding, but it's just, yeah, the example which you've just given, which is good, is, yeah, the, the shorter or um, compact barricade where you can get move it back, get the bipod on one end and probably still get your rear set up on the other if you yeah. want yeah. and do that. Whereas that, yes, I've seen it where you're falling off the back. So you're either sitting in free area out the back and stuffing pillows and, and packs. Yeah, okay, that, that makes sense. Um, and, and a lot of people, I mean, obviously we see a lot of the adverts coming through from the, the companies and stuff pushing it. Are a lot of guys moving on to that system now? It depends on what chassis they have or, or what races they're running. If they're running a Jay Allen or a MPA has them, yep. Masterpiece Arms, um, there's, especially over on the AR side, XLR Industries is starting to make M-Lock uh, adapters. Okay. Yeah, that, that hook into their M-Lock rails, any M-Lock rails. So yep. the Masterpiece M-Lock rails for ARs, here in the states, you can now put Arca rail attachments on the bottom of it and run four-inch or eight-point-five-inch Arca attachments on AR rails. So now you have Arca ability as well as M-Lock. Right. So it's it's giving more. It's funny because Arca Swiss has been around for decades in the photography world. Mm. It's now recently RSS and other companies following have pushed it into precision rifle, mm. which shows innovation to expand your market yeah. um, and it, it's worked out great because now all my bipods have arc attachment so I can swap them between any of my rifles um, I can you know any position along that that arc rail I can put on uh, a bipod or a barricade stop so if I use I, I've gotten away from barricade stops by the way mm. uh, I've built some homemade ones I've used a couple in Picatinny I used use them I just, I don't have, I, I've just gotten away from them because I, I balance on the bag with the, the helm. Yeah, because it seems to be two different almost philosophies when you're using a barricade stop because again, I mean I've used a few but it's really a case of yeah, we're going to wedge it in as hard as we can onto the barricade versus the bag where we're still isolating that hard on hard. Where a barricade stop almost seems to be enforcing hard on hard. You're like actually jamming it into that hard Yeah, that's, that's pretty, you're, you're wedging it on. Yeah. So yeah. it is two different thoughts and again, you have to and you have to practice and dry fire and find out what works for mm -hmm. you. And uh, I tried some barricade stop stuff and it didn't work for me. I couldn't yeah. keep the rifle stable enough wedged in with homemade barricades and even some one Arca ones on the market. So I went back to just resting on the bag and you know bracing with my support hand and been a lot more successful that way so again that goes back into 
you have to if you if you do anything new or bring anything new, you know, method or device, you have to practice with it first. Go to a club match, do some dry fire training, see if it works. If it doesn't, pitch it to the, the gearbox and move on. And carry on. People there's a lot of people that tinker too much with, with all kinds of stuff. They're still and that was me. God yeah. you know. 2014, 2015, I was tinkering with all kinds of stuff. Now I'm just like, yeah, rest this thing on a bag and go. But again, I think it's that, that thing like the bags, like everything else. I think as you get into it, you're trying to get every one-up or one gizmo or anything you can to give you that edge. And then over time you realize, actually, no, it's just my shooting. Yep. <laughs> That's what I need to do. And more training, more training. More training. And uh, I know the, the list you sent me... Um, Number one, competition techniques. How do you prepare for a match? Yeah. No, no, I, um, I want everyone to think this is all completely unscripted and unprepared. It's just yeah. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Sorry. We've Sorry. got teleprompters that are running down here. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that cat went out of the bag. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it, Ryan. <laughs> he did show prep, finally. <laughs> um, Don't go off script, uh, man. Don't go off script. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we want to talk about bourbon? <laughs> <laughs> sure. That one time in Fort Hood, I got really trashed. <laughs> no, um, mental mental preparing um, for me, and I found this out my first match. I went down to rifles only for my first match this season and left work, and immediately driving down, I immediately got a bad attitude in my, my head about a lot of things going on in my life. Hmm. I let, you know, some family stuff get in there. I let work stuff and just had a bunch of clutter going on in the head and went to the match, got to the match, of course, seeing everyone down at Rifle Zone, smiles, ah, oh, yeah, cool. Um, but that, that, that bad attitude stuck with me through the match. And it showed. Hmm. I shot his four. Probably the worst hit percentage in a major match in three years. Um, so by the time day two rolled around, I was nowhere near the leader of TAC division who was in fourth place at that time. Um, just crushing it. Eric Garza, he crushed it that match. And I, I was just like, all right, I'm going to go into day two, get better. No. <laughs> yeah. It, it was just like a, it was a big wake up call. It was a big yeah. gut check. It was a big wake up call. Uh, I was really frustrated, and drive home was was long. It was quite long. Um, luckily, I had some friends, namely one of them, Brian, who's an RO, sent me some podcasts uh, from, from some pistol shooters and some other people here in the state. Steve Anderson, by the way. Uh, and I listened to a couple of his podcast episodes, and one of them really just slammed into me. It brought it home. Mm-hmm. Uh, your formula for success and I listened to it listened to it again listened to it again two weeks later I go to Florida with a whole different attitude much better really like carefree loose uh, happy and linked up with Team Prime there and went and shot that match and my hit percentage went up to 76 mm-hmm. so with a 308 yep. and finished uh, where I 50 out of about 130 shooters, um, took first place in TAC division. Mm-hmm. And was like, okay, wow. 
now there's my formula right there. Yep. So took that, you know, two weeks later, three weeks later, um, at the Bush, Bush No Lone Star Challenge, same thing. Um, and I find out that, you know, when I go into a stage all serious and like, mm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rape this course of fire, <laughs> yeah. which is a joke, by the way. <laughs> I said that. Um, I can do I'll that. put a trigger warning up. It's okay. Yeah, it's trigger right. warning. But if I uh, if I go into a stage nice and loose, I'm like, yeah, all right, I got my my plan down, and uh, I do good. And yeah. I took what Dave Preston said on one of his posts, and I said, I've already shot the stage once or twice in my head before even pulling the trigger the first time. Mm-hmm. He mentally shot the stage in his head once or twice before even pulling the trigger for the first time. Yeah. And now that was another bam. Where, where was all these things two, three years ago when I started? Mm. So probably um, with pistol shooters. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Or I just wasn't listening or tuned in to people as much. Um, so that's what I did Lone Survivor. I shot when I get up to a stage, I started shooting and I finished second in TAC division, nine points behind Buck Holly. Um, but I still picked up 92 PRS points, which is, that was huge. It jumped me up. Sure. Buck did great. He won the match. He, he jumped the spot ahead of me and is now leader in TAC division. Um, but he shot a great match. Mm. Uh, it was a hard day one conditions with a lot of wind. And uh, attitude plays a big thing. Mm-hmm. Having a good attitude, not worrying about stuff, taking, taking you know, family life, work, BS, whatever, and just pushing it off to the sides. And one, it's a sport. It's a game. Have fun. Yep. Yep. Um, hang out with your friends and have fun. Two, it's a competition. And if you go into a competition with a crap attitude, you're going to have crap results. Mm-hmm. So uh, mentally, that was a big thing. And uh, then uh, that, that ties into three, number three on the list. Yeah, we're going by a list. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, proper focus and mental state during a match. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, you can't, like, I, since I'm on the phone with geoballistics, I'll see all the text messages and, and everything pop up. And people will start tagging, or I'll have my wife call me. Mm. Yeah, I very few. I said if it's an emergency, she needs to text me about eighty times. Yeah, and put emergency nine eleven. Because on that, I'm not answering anything. And it's hard not to. It's not pause when I see the little red icons on Facebook or Instagram. Not to go press in on them. Sometimes I do when there's downtime, mm. but it's. I don't even look at emails for work. It's interesting. It's something I've sort of had a challenge even running, like running the website and, and Instagram. You're almost kind of like, oh, I need to get some photos of Instagram. I need to get some social media share stuff for Facebook. I need to get all the stuff. And then you realize you're you're almost not shooting the match. You're just observing the match for a social media yeah. purpose. And and I so I do the opposite. Often I'll go now through a whole match and won't even and walk away and realize I didn't take a single photo. I, I probably should have stopped to take at least a photo of me shooting to put on there. Maybe not, you know. Um, and I was guilty of that this last match at Lone Survivor. I got, I think I only got one picture of me actually shooting. Yeah. Um, and I just didn't ask anyone to take any pictures. Yeah, because I wasn't too focused on that. I was focused on actually trying to shoot the match and win division. Mm. Um, so the and I know you know I need to do that better to represent companies. 
uh, have that, but again, it's a shooting match. I'm not there taking photos for photography competitions. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So if no one's going to take photos for me, that's great. You know what? I'll do a post and tag a bunch of people, make my own little collage, and then call it a day. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm trying to win matches so I get 300 points in pack division. <laughs> not trying to get followers. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and everyone at least in the states. And a lot of people that know me know how I feel about the Instagram gun bunnies and the tactical Timmies that <clears throat> don't run their gun in matches, just do stupid stuff yeah. so that they can get more likes and followers. I'm still that way. You know, there's a lot of people, oh, hey, I'm going to show my side boob and get free stuff. Oh, that's great. I'm going to actually go out and run my gun at matches and show that I can actually shoot and have talent mm-hmm. as opposed to just showing my ass. Yeah. Sorry, went went off on that tangent, but it's the 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 social media influencing uh, side of the the gun business right now is <laughs> it's a mess. Yeah, and there are, it's because the yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go down that. No, path. no, no. But it, it becomes it becomes a focus, and it's the challenge I've had with with what I've been doing is I've always wanted it to be very um, content and information heavy. Yeah, I'm even aware there's other people I could be interviewing and other ways I could be doing it that would get more page follows and likes and everything like that. But then I'm doing this because I want to get more information and learn and develop more. Um, yeah, <laughs> but exactly. but you end up smaller, smaller, but more uh, informed and more actually focus group of people you're working with. I think that's that's the difference. And slowly I become more comfortable that those smaller groups are uh, actually it's easier to manage as well. That's the other thing. Yep. So, yep. All right. So uh, I'm just right, trying well, to figure out now what we've covered. Just talking, and uh, I need to cross. Yeah, yeah. Uh, shooting monster series, the series is steps you go on through every shoot. Um, so, well, I'll put it another way. If you if, you, yeah. if your mind's not in the game, and you get up to a stage, and something in the back of your head just goes, Ryan, I'm not, I'm not here. I'm not here. Have you got any ticks, um, uh, tricks to kind of go right? I've got to turn it on now. Uh, yeah, basically yell at myself and say, hey, you stupid mf'er, get your head back in the game. Right, okay, yep. Or have someone else like uh, Regina Milkovich, yeah. John Philman, there's a couple of people who will squad that I'm like, hey, man, you need to tell me to get my shit together. Yeah. And and they'll tell me in a blunt fashion, hey, pull your head out of your fourth point of contact and get your game back on. Yeah. All right, your head's up your ass. Um, there was one time, and I think it was, I think it was at Rifles Only, that I came off a stage, and it was last year, and it was a totally cleanable stage, and I just bombed it. Like, I think I got two, two out of eight, because I just couldn't get my rifle in the right position, mm-hmm. and I came off, and I yelled. And I was like, hey, dude, you can't do that. I was like, <sighs> and I got reminded, that was one of the, I don't, I come off the stage and I either laugh yeah. or I come off really stoic and quiet. I'm like, sometimes I'll do the, yes, I claimed it. Or I'll go, woo. Hey, you know, yeah. that's, but there's, I can only count for two times I've been verbally or the point where I threw equipment. And it one, the first time was at K&M, at K&M at a match. And I just went up and totally, I once I didn't, I didn't I actually recovered that one pretty good. Mm. It was no dial stage, and I went and messed with my turrets, 
and didn't have the first distance dialed in, so I had to do everything from zero and add everything on right. the fly. So now I was adding on the fly, so I got five out of ten on that stage. And uh, Don Elbrus was there, and he, if people have known him, been in Precision Rifle for a while, especially in the Southeast, no Don. Uh, he was involved in a lot of shooting sports, great guy. And I threw my magazine on the ground, and it just exploded. And Don said, hey, young man, come here. <laughs> and I mean, he, I mean, and I was huffing and puffing. I was like, yeah. He said, no, you keep your composure. And I was like, all right. Grab a magazine, all parts of it, put it in my bag, went on to the next stage and cleaned it. Uh, you know, dropped a, dropped a, a real big deuce on a stage at uh, Jordy's match. Didn't didn't zero it. It just didn't shoot what I needed to shoot. Next stage, I go and clean it. It's recent, did the same thing at core. Ran through the mover stage really quick and didn't clean it. And um, next stage, got my head together, calmed down, slowed down, and I cleaned it. Mm. So uh, people will let me know through humor. Hey man, you <laughs> really. Add up, like yeah, I did. Uh, calm down. All right. So that's. But if I get up to a stage and shooter ready, stand by. Yeah. What are we doing here? I don't know. Let's uh, let's just start throwing rounds down range. Then, uh, that's when I have to say, and I, it's very hard to do that when you've already started running the mm. bull. It is slow down, slow down. And I have to tell myself that slow down. You know, you're not. It's not a race. It's not a three gun match, and I don't even shoot three gun. Yeah, I don't know why I'm on the bolt like it. You know, I'm gonna tear it out and break the bolt stop and slow down. And I found out that, that works. Take it. Take a two second pause. Slow down, and then get back on target mm. and shoot. Biggest thing I notice is yeah, even when we're ROing at our what I would consider friendly matches by comparison, you know, it's biggest thing you often have to say to people is slow down. You know, you've got 60 seconds left, slow down. You've still got a whole lot of time left. And I've done it myself. Like you say, you, if it just doesn't go to plan and everything starts speeding up and you're like, well, I'm just going to, I don't know, muscle and growl my way through this. And it, it never works that way. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it, it, it doesn't. You may get lucky in one stage where you muscle and growl through it. Yeah. And you, Eight out of ten, or you get really lucky and clean it, but probably chances next time you go in with a mental mistake and you're not going to recover from it. Mm. Um, it helps to dial dope for your first target and not keep your dial set on zero. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's still what I'm trying to remind myself is to dial back to zero at the end of a stage. You know, get on there and you realize yeah. you're a whole turn out. That's always a good one as well. So that that leads into a good point. Having pre-fire checklists and post-fire checklists. Yeah. I don't, like, as soon as I get done shooting a stage and they give me my score, I immediately start checking my dials and my magnification goes back to 15 to where the, where I have my, my switch view is vertically up. My dials go back to zero, whether, and there's sometimes I do dial wind in. I have to with a 308, especially mm -hmm. if you're going to be holding in 20 mile per hour full value. Um, I'll check my dials make sure they're back to zero, because that's caught me before. I've gone to the next mm -hmm. stage with half a mil dialed in, and um, shooting prairie dogs at 200, 300 yards, easy, cleanable stage, and I am way off, and I don't know why. And I look over at the dials, and I'm like, 
it's like, okay, let's move on. That stage is done. Move on to the next stage. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's happened. Oh, and, and it'll probably every now and then, as soon as you think you'd never do it again, it'll bite you again just to remind you that we're human. Yep. Well, I mean, the, the more you do it, the, the more muscle memory. And honestly, I mean, the last time I, I, I did that, I was like, wow, what a rookie mistake. Hmm. And if you were even talking about it, it's pounding on it and bringing it up. Um, hopefully someone learns from this and keep the mistakes. <laughs> So hopefully it's a teaching moment, but uh, you you can't go into the next stage. No, about it. If you mess the stage up, you mess that stage up. Once that timer is done and you've gotten your score, that stage is over with. It's history. You can't do anything to change it. Get ready for the next stage. Mm. All right, uh, one shot at a time, one stage at a time, one match at a time. Yeah. I. People, you know, people were asking me about spear point and other matches, two matches prior. I'm like, I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about this match right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, oh, another good point. You're in competition, and God, people are gonna call me a hypocrite for saying this. <laughs> but I'm trying to stop doing it. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Don't worry about who's scoring what. If someone's in your division, like TAC division guys, if someone wants to show you the score sheets, go, okay, fine. But don't go and actively look at everyone's score sheets or, or ask. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done that. I'll admit I've done it. And I'm trying to stop doing it because I don't need to worry. I need to shoot my match. Shoot your match. Don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Yeah. And... Um, there are going to be some people that are going to worry about who's gaming and who's doing what. I, I just, I've got to just tell myself, you're the only one on the range. Shoot your match. And shoot the best match that you can. And shoot the best match that you can. Hmm. So, um, all right. I think we covered pretty much everything in competition techniques. Uh, wind form throws. Um, no, not in the head. I'm using software because I'm not. No. <laughs> no. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh. In the head, no. Um, stage gaming, we already talked about that. Put in the dirt. Approach yep. to the stage, multi-position, multi-target. We already talked, about, talked that. about that. Yep, it's okay. Hydration and nutrition. Well, I mean, pre-match nutrition usually consists of a very big meal, yeah. a lot of food, depending on where I'm at. No. Uh, I usually try to eat very small. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing. No, I go I'm really not sure which way you're actually going to go with this now. No, I go and I go and try to crush the King Kong right, when okay. I'm at Bamboos in Florida, which is the biggest plate of sushi or California rolls I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, if you go to K and M, it's Snookum Steakhouse. If you go to a bunch, of, and everyone knows the eating places around. Yeah. I just won't do Mexican the night prior to a match. <laughs> I don't feel like shitting like a goose on stage day, match day. I won't drink milk either. <laughs> nope. Nope. I don't want to be. I don't want to be in the porta potty after every stage. <laughs> Been there, done that. 2015 rifles only. Went out to the Kings Bay, ate some deep fried seafood, and the next day, I was. They were hustling me back and forth to the to the bathroom between stages because I was just. It was going through me like shit through goose. I'm like nope, not doing that again. I'll I'll go eat bread and and, and raisin bran with no milk. Yeah, 
uh, and, and cliff bars before I do that crap again. Uh, uh, new, uh, hydration, yeah, you got to stay hydrated. Uh, that, uh, yes, it, it's a learning curve. But I think for a lot of us, it's just like you don't think about it. You've got your gun, you've got your ammo, you've got your case, you've got everything. And you're like, I don't bring any water. Oh, that was smart. Oh, that was oh, great. You've got eight hours of this. Instructors will have water there, but if, if it's just oh. like some waters in jugs and you don't have a water bottle, yeah, yeah, you're like, hey, does anyone have a water bottle? Here's my spit bottle. I'm like, no. No. <laughs> Why are you offering me your spit bottle? You just, <laughs> hey, dumbass. No, but I, if you didn't bring a water bottle here, so now I keep a an, an Nalgene bottle or or um, you know a tumbler or a Rick Tick yeah. uh, Yeti cup with me. Um, but usually I have I, I usually pack a bottle of Gatorade or water or something that's in my bag. Mm. Um, you got to keep even though you're 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 pushing water, you're pushing water. You still gotta push the electrolytes. Yeah. Um, and there's some matches here in Texas where during the summertime, I'd go through a whole case in one day. Mm. And get that sleep <clears throat> hot and humid that it's like, oh God, you know, I need to have two cases of water in the truck and I better have ice. Mm. Um, or they better have ice, ice water there. Like the Lone Survivor match, it was cold, but they still had a shit ton of Chuck Norris water force water there and uh it was it was a good time but you know you, you have to stay hydrated yeah okay. sorry i'm metal. sorry is, is chuck norris water an actual thing yes it is <laughs> okay we'll have to look that up online it, it adds an additional like you know 50 feet per second to your to your muzzle velocity uh reduces aerodynamic drag on your mm-hmm. 308s it's awesome <laughs> chuck norris I mean, I'm not questioning you at all. I'm just, you know, we no, don't have it. We don't have I mean, this. the 308s start flying like a six millimeter. <laughs> six millimeters start going out like laser beams. Yeah. There's, and there's, there, there's no wind calls. They fly straight, man. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, all right. So, equipment, we've gone through. Well, so uh, there's a couple of questions in there, which are just almost quick fire, but you might want to add on a bit of why. And, and the first one's a single okay. stage, dual stage trigger. You got a preference? Two stage. I've been running two, two stage Huber since 2014. And you're running it's, super light on that, or? Uh, they're two pound. All my triggers are set two pounds. So that's one pound first stage, one pound second stage. Okay. Uh, I don't like running six ounce triggers. I want to have a little bit. And I know exactly where those Hubers are going to break. Yep. When I get through the first stage, um, when I get when I hit that wall, I know exactly where it's where it's going to break and how. If I do my part. So I've been using Hubers since 2014. Love them. Uh, I won't switch anytime to, uh, anytime soon. Uh, I'm on Team Huber. Um, we have a the Team Huber has a wide array of shooters from precision rifle to ELR to to bench rest so they have a bunch of different shooters not just not all prs nrl yeah. have guys casey Moore right now he's here in texas doing the uh, elr world's longest shoot i think they pushed out to three thousand yards today i know mm. a black ballistics team pushed out uh i don't know how far casey did uh, and I, there's a bunch of my friends that are on team huber with me so okay. good good little crew going on there um but yeah, the Huber two stage, and an interesting discussion. Current events is there are a lot of uh, of a certain trigger breaking down when it's it's breaking when they're sandy. 
Trigger maintenance has become a topic of discussion lately. And if I have to get a trigger that I have to take apart uh, between every match, yeah. then that's not a trigger for me. I already have enough to do. I don't want to be cleaning triggers. So we have, we've had, or I've observed a similar thing of guys bringing bench rest um, tolerance actions out to field shooting. So beautiful yep. actions, super tight tolerance, wonderful, super accurate, super well built um, field shoot. It was raining the first day and nothing was extracting. Yep. So it became a it became a uh, like an artillery thing. You'd have to pull the trigger, show it was clear. Another guy rod down the front, clear it out, get out of the way, pull it again, shoot another trigger, which is really difficult when he's trying to um, shoot like a spinner. Uh, you know, yeah. it didn't work out too well for him. But second day was fine. It all got dried out and it and ran flawlessly. And it's be- like I said, beautiful action, but just not for what we were actually using it for, which is field conditions where there's water, dirt, other stuff going into it. And triggers seem to be the same thing as well. Yeah, that's, uh, I learned, uh, I didn't learn the hard way, but I, I saw people with triggers and actions going down or, or, you know, having pressure issues, one in the rain. Um, this this year, the, the PRS, the Precision Rain Series, is taking place, <laughs> and it's raining on almost every match that's going on. Yeah, I've seen some good photos, actually. Too muddy, you know, monsoon season yeah. type stuff. So you have a bunch of people that are trying to load, do hand loads, and they're running their 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 hot summer dry air loads to get the max velocity. And what are they doing? They're blowing primers mm. left and right, blowing primers out, having pressure issues. Well, they didn't do a water test and back off their load, their charge weight, and they're running too high pressure. And you know what's that cause? That causes issues with the triggers. Now it causes issues with your bolt, your extraction. You're burning time trying to get your bolt to un, you know extract rounds and casings out of it. You're splitting cases. It's like, come on, guys. Um, in the gas gun side last year, I had the same issue. I run prime. The barrel that I was using was a proof research stainless steel barrel. It was very tight. I had a lot of chamber pressure. Every once in a while at a match, I'd get a, you know, I I have some extraction issues. Mm. Uh, it was very few, but my brass, oh, it, you could just see the pressure on the back of the primer and the extraction mark. And I was running suppressed too. So yeah. you, when I'm pushing prime at 2950 out of a 24-inch gas gun suppressed, that's beating most bolt guns 26-inch. Yep. Yep. And it was just, that, t- that chamber was tight. I'm running suppressed. And... But it was accurate. God, that rifle was accurate. Uh, out 1,400 yards, too. Um, so, triggers, if you yep. have to do trigger maintenance, I'm not a fan of. So, no. Hubert, I've, <laughs> I haven't had to take a part of Hubert yet. And I am knocking on wood because I know how karma acts. <laughs> but I, I always care replacement trigger. Yeah. So. With- so you're prepared for it anyway, which, again, karma then seems to go, well, then I'm not even going to bother testing it. Yeah, hopefully karma doesn't try a test because, I boom, I'll pull that action out and jam, knock those pins out, put another trigger in, hmm. get right back to it. Hmm. So, um, and I have replacement bolt and firing pin. So yep. anything that could possibly, bolt stops. I run defiance action. I learn uh, that sometimes... If you run a bolt like a rape date, 
you can break that bolt stop. So I carry an extra bolt stop and an extra pin yep. spring in there so that if I break a bolt stop, I can change out. The other way is I also have a rubber attachment that goes on the J. Allen that fits right in here so that when the bolt comes back, I have oh, a okay. rear bolt. Yeah. So on my first chassis, I actually have holes through this, and it was a cotter pin to put that in so it would stay there. And I learned that because when the bolt would come back, it would just bounce against that rubber, not come all the way out. Right. So I wouldn't because I had a free bolt at a club match once. It broke, and I had to pull it out, push the bolt back in to, to go again. I got 8 out of 10 on that stage. So I was kind of like, yeah, man, bolt stock broke. Free bolting it. I just saw that stage. I don't want to ever do that again. Yeah. So that, it's just those little things. Yep. Uh, yeah, two stage. Two Super stage. Uh, eyes. Both eyes open, one eye closed. Um, both eyes open majority of the time. Mm-hmm. If it's a left, left side stage, weak side, yep. I have to wear an eye patch over my right because okay. my right eye tries to take over. Yeah. So the hat will get I'll do the, the hat backwards thing. Yeah, I'm gonna go shoot. <laughs> um but uh no, both eyes open. Yeah. And that's a fatigue thing or because I I mean, depending where you come some guys will go, oh, well it's situational awareness, but we're shooting competition, so that's probably not the primary concern. Is it I've is always it, I've always shot precision rifle okay. and type of rifle, both eyes open, you know, AR both at reflex sights, red dot yeah. sights, uh, ACOGs, uh, M- M68s, have always been both eyes open. So mm-hmm. I guess it's just a natural muscle memory thing for me. Uh, it's it's something I'm now learning basically is, is just, yeah, it's it's more fatigue for me on the, the, uh, on the yeah. standard left eye, but I just find, yeah, after a while it's not as comfortable. So I'm just learning and more dry fire, more dry fire, more dry fire. Yep, and that's the thing with dry fire is, um, if I know I'm going to a match that the match director is known to be doing left side, weak side shots, yeah, I'll, I'll increase that because, uh, especially rifles only, you, you you have that no matter that that's going to happen. You are going to shoot off your weak side if you go to rifles only. Right. You're shooting your up. You're going to shoot off your right. So might as well practice a little bit. But I don't spend that much time if I'm going to a lot of other matches because match directors don't normally put it in there. Mm. Um, but it's still good to do about five to ten percent of the training on that yeah so i think the it's not actually on this list so i'm about to go off script now uh okay. training do you do you have a like a dry fire regime are you dry firing every day or are you getting enough actual fire in or so the schedule it depends on how my match schedule is yeah um okay so dry fire yes um even though right now in the living room I got my daughter's trampoline, normally where my ladder, my barricade goes. Right. But I simply move that. I, I do probably dry fire every other night. And it's mm-hmm. usually about 15, 20 minutes. And that's just moving into position, um, getting set up. If I know I'm going to a match that will possibly have positional, such as standing, seated, kneeling, um, prone, unsupported, I'll, I'll switch to that. Yeah. And... I do a lot of it inside on 13, 13 feet away, 13 yards away. No, 13 feet away. Sorry. Living room, 13 yards. Um, on the DST precision scale yep. target with the IOTA on the scope. 
and that allows me to do it at nighttime because I put a big, you know, multi-light thing up against the wall, and all the living room lights are on, and I have enough light to see the targets. Or I put right. the laptop out there, and I put program on that has popper targets and mover targets. Right. Yeah. And you that way. And it's 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 uh, maximizing my training to where you don't have to go to the range to practice things because a lot of stuff can be handled dry fire. Mm. You don't have to go to the range to dump rounds. You can train smart. <clears throat> you go to the range, that should be for training wind calls and yep. recoil mitigation. Dry fire should be working in positions, maneuvering your rifle, and manipulation of the gear. Yep. So you, you have to separate that. And as for a set schedule, I've tried writing down schedules and, and doing it, and I'm not the best at that, but I do have a, a, I do a rough calendar, especially this week because I'm going to a, a, another match mm. here at the level. I'll up that dry fire. Um, tomorrow, I'm probably going to go to the range, 40-round training session just on recoil mitigation and see where I'm at on, on the zero. I'll probably do dot drills tomorrow. Yep. I got 40 rounds. I usually don't go over 60 or 70 rounds for a training. Okay. Training session. And I don't even zero most of the time. The only time I really confirm zero is when I go to a match. Um, Jim C is a big proponent of this. 40 round training session, don't go in zero. You're mm -hmm. shooting at steel plates at 300, 400, 500 yards for training. You don't have to have a tight zero and you know post yep. pictures of it. You're, <laughs> you're trying to hit steel. Don't waste your ammo doing that. Yeah. Um, on the flip side of that, the range I do go to has a great way that I can check what my thousand yard data is. They put a <laughs> they put a, a a three inch, a five inch, and a seven inch little hanger steel target out of a thousand. Mm. You just barely see that dot. So right. if I know if I hit it, I'm like lucky. <laughs> That's small. That's small. But if I'm within that ten inch. Yeah, or 15 inch radius around that. I know my data's good. Yeah, you know, and yeah, I've gone out to that range. And I'm like, ah, oh, I'm gonna use the rest of my training ammo to maximize my training. Nope, I'm gonna dump everything into those small targets. <laughs> I want to hit them. Grass <laughs> laying on the floor, and I'm like, I've only hit them three times. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but um, that. Someone asked right. me recently for a new new range that's being set up. What, how big the target should be at a mile? I'm, I'm like, what? What do you mean? You're like, what? Two two meters, three meters, four meters? I'm like, no, man. Like three, like a target, the same as we'd shoot at any other distance. What? <laughs> what's make it ten meters just so they feel good that they hit something out that far? So, well, you know. Yeah. Well, the range I go to is known to have very big targets, but I um I get there early enough on. Sometimes I, you know, I, I will, there's days where I will call up work. No, I shouldn't say that. Rewind. <laughs> got out. <laughs> there's days I can work from home and I'll do dry fire, but there's times when I was, when we were testing the T-1000 yeah. that I'd go out and have to test the T-1000, I would take my match gun out mm. and they put the T-1000 at a thousand yards in the 500 yard range. And I would say, okay, I'm going out here to test this, but why not get some training in? And uh, I went out early enough, and because some of the targets are so big, I actually had I took a blowtorch with me, 
and basically blowtorched a grid pattern into one of the targets. Right. And didn't cut the steel, but just enough to, yeah. to make a visible line, even if it was painted. And now I could grid where I was shooting. So I'm like, okay. Because they were huge targets, huge mm-hmm. AR-500 slabs to withstand 338 on a public range. Yeah. It's like, you know, I can't train wind on these things. I can make a half a mil adjustment, and I'm still going to hit the damn thing. Mm-hmm. So, so what I did was, on one of them, put a grid with uh, with a blowtorch. I guess they took that target down or flipped it or sent it somewhere. It's not out there anymore. Um, so I try to get out there and take some white spray paint with me and a 10-inch circle yeah. on the 20-inch plate that they have or some of the other bigger plates and say, hey, can you put this 10-inch white dot in the middle of those plates? Yeah, yeah. sure, no problem. Now I got something to aim and reference. Yeah, on. you got a ring, yeah a re- reference, and that's the biggest thing. I think a lot of people shoot steel, and it's like, oh, it hits, it hits. Oh, well, that's all that matters. It's like, well, where did you hit on the steel? That's the that's yeah. the next question. It's like that was the problem with me is going out to that range and in, in, in training. One didn't have barricades, so I thought my own money and built a, uh, a barricade. Two, they had very big targets. Now there are smaller targets. I'm talking. PRS size style targets mm. at 500, 600, 656, 750 that I can train wind off of. Yeah. Um, so that's helped out immensely too. The closest, I mean, that range is 30 minutes away from me. Mm. So every other range that's national level, you know, Cawthorn, Bushnell, the Lone Star Training Facility, where Georgia just had his match, rifles only, everything's an average three hours away from me. So. That requires, you know, a four o'clock wake up, five o'clock wake up, mm. and you just can't shoot out to the. That, that's that's a day planet. It's a day gone. Whereas the local range, I can come back and spend time with my daughter, and that's, you know, it's closer. I don't have I I don't have the ability to walk out and drive ten minutes, and I'm on a yeah. range. Yeah. Which I love. Because it's awesome. You think here in Texas, there's a lot of land, but unless <laughs> you get to Austin, there isn't any. Right. I'm on that outer suburban cusp where there's not the land to do it. So, mm. so you you mentioned the hit indicators, which is a lovely yeah. segue into our last section, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we made to the last section. We're gonna we go backwards, though. We're gonna go backwards. Yeah. Uh, the hit indicators. Um, so the T1000. Correct, T1000. T1000. Now, how long have they been released? Was it one year, two years ago at the shop? We actually, we debuted them shot 2017. Okay, yep. We had them out 2017, and then we finally released it right after Thanksgiving of 2017. So, um, just to keep it with that year, um, so we brought them to market 2017, right after Thanksgiving, and then we start pushing out the match packs uh, soon after that. So the individual ones and then the match pack that we were sending out to match dealers or to dealer, not match dealers, range owners and match directors. Yeah. Um, and man, those went flying off the shelf and they're mm-hmm. still flying off the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them are still going out. Uh, so we go ahead. So well, I was just going to say for the people who don't know who, um, I would hope most people know Magneto Speed and the, the cronies, but they may not know the hit indicators, although most people watching this probably even know the hit indicators as well. Um, uh, quick quick version of how they work, what they do. Okay, so 
at this point, I, I'm learning not to assume. You see, that's all it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go and actually get one because it's in the other room. Oh, there you go. Yep. So, okay. Yeah. Let me just give me a couple minutes. Sure. All right. So the T1000. This is a T1000. Uh, it's a targeted indicator. So the uh, and let me go through boot up. This was one. Brought this one specifically for the show. Mm. Shot. Okay. All right, so T1000 fits to the back of the target, and it uses this Velcro strap that goes on the back of the target. Yep. Place it to where this part of the reflector head is visible on either on the side or up top, other side. We don't recommend it, but if you want to go below, you can do that too. So the target takes a, a miss. Right now, this is current settings. The miss indicator is off on how it comes in the box. Okay. But if you, if you turn the miss indicator off, on, it will detect the supersonic crack and will flash yellow. Right. Right now it's off and it's only for hit. So if you have an impact, it'll actually hit and it'll blink. So, so, so sorry, just a question with the, the miss. Is there a distance on it or... So there's different sensitivity settings. Okay. Okay. On the highest sensitivity setting that you can get with the with the dip switches that are in there, I've pushed four mils off the side of a plate, shot, and it's detected it. Okay. So it can detect the supersonic crack, yep. but it has to be supersonic. So you start pushing out right, yeah. um, say, you know, thirteen, fourteen hundred yards, yep. you may not get the missing indicator to work, but the hit indicator will work. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. Yep. Yep, yep. There was one question I had from watching videos online previously. Yeah, so they're using actually from you know my my boss Ivan was out the longest the world's longest shoot challenge this past weekend. Um, they on the overcast day here in Texas because the weather's been really overcast lately. They had naked eye on at a mile, mm. and they may have set these a little more off to the edge. Yeah, but we recommend that it's this a quarter to half an inch from the edge, so that only the top half of the reflector head is exposed. Uh, Here, with the closer targets and the more rounds, we do actually have impacts, and this is a clear silicone gel, so the bullet goes actually straight through it. Yeah. Now, if it's cold out, this clear silicone gel hardens up, and you can actually have more damage if the projectile hits it. Gotcha. But on a hot day, it'll slice right through there and continue to work. Because mm -hmm. so it, and it's you can see it. It's pretty bright. Because <laughs> there was a few guys, a few guys locally have been, you know, ad hocking and building their own things. But they had part of the actual electronics had to be exposed, like it was a light that you were seeing. And I think I was trying to explain to them. It's like yes, the point is with that one is that if you hit it halfway through a match, we don't have to stop the match, go down and fix it go down no. and sort it all like the self-healing targets we've got you just carry on and then at the end of the day you can make a call and go well we need to replace it or probably we won't for for a season almost yeah. and the most the thing you're probably have to replace after the end of a match is the reflector head yeah. which you just slide this out put it back in and you're ready to go mm. and the batteries are two double a uh alkaline or lithium i'm sorry and the last god um uh, a year 
Mm. Because the only the, the battery is only drawing power once you have a hit. It just goes into right. sleep mode, and um, you know you're five thousand hits. And we're we did an endurance test here in summer. We kept them on 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 a public range, same range I go to practice. Close to two months before we had any type of you know issue where the Velcro was coming out. Now that summer here in Texas, um, so with that you know. There is target prep that needs to be done. You do have to read the instructions. And anyone, I have a lot of, if you follow me, or if anyone's following me on Facebook or, or friends with me, they know I keep pounding people for anything with the chronographs or any products ever made. Read the instructions. Mm. Um, things that require target prep or alignment, you got to read the instructions. Yep. If everyone read the instructions, customer service everywhere would be out of the job. Just gonna say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> so and and the reason originally behind those set indicators was that driven primarily by the the smaller calibers going out further. I mean, logically, that's where we would be using them because just a, a six mil hitting out over a K for us is going to get well, even a three oh eight too far out is getting pretty hard to spot even with hits. Yeah, that's. Um... Because targets were getting pushed out further mm. in smaller calibers, six millimeter, there was no way to tell if someone got an impact unless you had a really good spotter. Yeah. And, and there wasn't a lot of mirage. So, I mean, even at a thousand yards on some plates, six millimeter won't do it. Two, two, three won't do it. Yeah. So there's no way to tell. And that's where we saw this. And there was some other, there's other products on the market that do similar things and they have the standalone lights off to the side and they have different capabilities um i'm going to say if you're pushing targets out to 3,000 yards we haven't pushed this further than 2200 yards so far mm. and still had it seen so i mean again the right tools for the right job yeah a big light may be better for 4,000 yard targets but for the prs game you know, style matches 1,400 yards and in, these roll. Mm. Plainly put, I mean, you don't. You can leave them up. You, you don't have to go down and change batteries every night. You don't have anything off to the side. Uh, you don't have any wires. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, not to say the systems, you know, there, there's not cons to it. And the con being, you know, this gets chewed up or this gets hit or a target moves on an angle so much that it is exposed and that gets right. shot. Yeah, but it, it's it's designed not to be shot because it's behind a target. <laughs> um, so what? Sorry to clarify, it's designed not to be shot. <laughs> designed not to be shot because it's behind the target. Okay, okay. Like gotcha. some other people, and I won't name the military unit, <laughs> that put it on front of the target <laughs> and said, is this how it's supposed to go? That's happened. There is an army unit. I won't name it. <laughs> Rangers um, <laughs> put it on the front of the target. And they shot it. Okay. Oh, good. Oh, good. Good. I just clear, clear. I'm nodding this down behind the target. Behind the target. <laughs> the reflector head is designed to be shot. Yeah. The aluminum body not designed to be shot. <laughs> Good, good, good tip, good tip. Thank you. <laughs> um, I saw recently Simon, who's uh, one of the um, guys 
organizing events down there it's, um just organized a couple to come down so we'll see them down here shortly um good. which will be good and it's the same thing i think we're yeah as we're like you say as we're stretching out further you you're reliant more and more on the guy spotting rather than it being a definite hit or miss so um yeah they they look one they look like they're well they are easy to set up they look like price wise they're just the right price that you can actually get a, a fleet of them out there rather than just being on that one target so yeah um yeah it was pretty cool when when the we saw the release it's like yep they're gonna get used so hmm. awesome yeah they yeah so it does not remove the fact that you need a spotter you still need a good spotter so yeah um you you can't supplement you know putting these on targets and having a rookie spotter so sure. if you have someone brand new to spotting targets they there's still is some training and experience that's needed. Yeah. So just don't think that, you know, hey, I want to put a T-1000 up. Oh, you're brand new to spotting. You've never spotted a map before. Don't worry. We have target indicators on there. Mm. No, don't do that. Keep your experienced shooters slash spotters on the glass. Yeah. Put those rookie ROs on timing and scoring. Mm. Trust me, that will save you a lot of heartache because there's yeah. some matches yeah. that haven't done that and they put rookie spotters on glass that don't know how to watch target or how to scan for a target or see impacts and it's caused issues mm. even with the t1000s attached mm. well, right. that's a, you, yeah and you don't want to you don't want the arguments to be about something like that it, yeah it's just that's... well one of the things that that has happened it's happened at matches especially on closer targets is this becomes an extension of the target now. Now you have a four inch by quarter or half inch extension. Right. Someone hits this, it'll go off. Ah, the target okay. will move, but the light will go off. Yep. And you'll have impacted dirt behind the target. And the only way to verify that is to actually go down range and look at your, your reflector head and see how many holes are through it. Mm. Now Depending on your backstop, and I'll bring this up specifically, if you put the target on a backstop of loose gravel and you have rounds that hit the berm and kick gravel back to the back of the target, yep. you get a hard enough impact, it'll set it off. Okay. Yep. So also be wary about that because that's happened. Mm. Um, this, even on the high sensitivity, right now on normal sensitivity or high sensitivity, a big enough rock hitting the back of the target or the front of the target, I mean, that's just me hitting it with my... Yep. It's going to set up... No, I just blinded myself. <laughs> <laughs> but that happens at work. Yeah. Replacing batteries. Otherwise, <laughs> I haven't had any easier, you know, seizure yet. Flashbacks. Yeah, flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's a good that is a good point and i guess that's the thing again for the guys actually putting them up don't just put them up before a match and then go we're good you kind of want to play with them and and shoot them and actually understand limitations that they exactly. do have and how they're gonna set up but it's, um, that and read the instructions and read the instructions yeah behind the target designed not to be behind shot. the target yeah okay cool so, <laughs> so how how most people know magneto speed though is obviously the cronies Yes. And um, certainly early in the pieces, soon, like my first chronograph was a magneto speed because at the time I was getting into it, that the, they came onto the market. I got to the point where I was reloading and wanted a crony, and there was I could not see any reason why I would get the old school um, optical chronographs because I'd just seen too many of them shot or guys pissing around on the range with them. And yeah, going down range. 
Nothing. Going down range, yeah. Oh, hang on, guys. I'm just five minutes more. I just need to set up all the entire row of people. So I'd rock up. I'd put the chronograph on. I'd do it. I'd pack up and be gone. And guys are still waiting for that 15 minute cycle to go around so they could actually break up or set up the chronographs. Um, yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so yeah, no going down range. No dealing with any light issues. No dealing with any environmental issues. Um, you, you get it onto your barrel, get it in the line correctly, um, power it up, and get your data. Yep. And uh, it's <laughs> pretty simple. Uh, where people overcomplicate and overthink this is, um, and I will say, I, I know that the, the next questions that are coming up are POI shift, group deviation. How does this affect my rifle? How does it affect the barrel harmonics? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, of course, anything that touches your barrel or any change to a transitional ballistic device can affect what your what your barrel is doing. So, or what the, what it's what group uh, or possibly group deviation. So, uh, I tell people that are worried about the POI shift is it's rifle and barrel dependent. I can take the V3, put it on a V3 and sport, put it on my suppressor. Well, the the sport or not so much on my suppressor, but on rifles, uh, M40, M24 contour, contour barrels, MTU contour barrels, truck axles, basically. Mm -hmm. And I have zero shift. Yeah. Uh, it's dead on. You know, it's if I'm seeing shift, it's probably because I'm slapping the trigger or I'm doing something wrong. Now, I will take it off and put it onto my thinner hunting rifle. Yeah. I'm um, basically a sporter farm contour and it has shift because mm. it's a bigger barrel uh, longer barrels more weight more chance for droop once it heats up short stubby barrels I have a 16 inch 308 with a truck axle barrel on it it's a big thick barrel um, then you know down down that has zero POI shift it's a 308 AR mm. zero POI shift now I put it on a longer on, on my the 6.5 Creedmoor I was using for last year's gun gas gun series. I had a I had a I'd say about three tenths POI shift low. So and that was even with an on suppressor. So it is barrel and rifle dependent. Yeah. What a lot of people don't realize is it's there to give you your data. Hmm. You're not shooting a match or a stage with it. You're not going to go hunt with it on. If you do and you hit your game or your target, more power to you. I've seen people do it. I am not, not going to lie to you. Really? Scott Burton Vortex ran a stage with his magnetic speed on and cleaned it. Nine for ten. Clean. Dropped one. He dropped one. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, hey, man, got my data and almost cleaned the stage. Thanks. <laughs> Like, all right. <laughs> and I have pictures of it. He's sitting there with a little smile on his face like he's got on the end of his can. He had a Silencer Co. Omega and he's got it strapped to the end of his can. And he went on went 9 for 10 on wow. stage. You know what? His rifle head, he says, I know it doesn't have, it has probably almost zero POI shift. Yeah. I'm like, cool. Other people do. Yeah, but you're not there. It's not there for you to grow. I get the schools of thought of trying to get your data and grouping at the same time. But if you do certain methods of load development, we can get really into the weeds on on on, on reloading on that. Is 
it's just there to get you your data. Mm-hmm. So once you get your tight your tight nodes, your tight your groups through charge weight, optimal charge weight, or or yep. node verification, or even ladder testing, dude, take it off. Get your your load development done, then get it on once you get to get your data and call it a day. Mm-hmm. And there's no complicated. And it won't pick up shots next to you. Mm-hmm. If you have rifles in a line, it's not going to pick up the rifles next to you. So, well, the, the one thing that I find interesting now as well with all, all cronies is that um, it's like a, you, you crony a gun now, you've got your starting point, there's a good chance you're going to true using a Kestrel or something like that at some point anyway. So we've shifted away from the measurement of it. And I know it's a, there's that toing and throwing, well, I'm shifting my measurement in my Kestrel away from what this precision instrument gave me. But for most of what we're doing, that's still what we're going to do. So it's 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 almost not a starting point. There's, there's other reasons for it. But for that, yeah, it's going to get shifted, you know. Um, measuring SDES is a different part of it, but yeah. So with that, it's, it's because the chronographs even even – the ones, the ones at the muzzle. Yeah. There's only two of them. We know the, us and Labrador. Yeah. They're there to get you the data at the muzzle. Now I know the, the, the Labrador allows you to get the DC down to uh, 100 yards. That's great if you're shooting 100 yards. Well, I, I, people hit me up about, oh, I'll get my BC. I'm like, exactly like you said, that's called cool. BC at 100 makes no difference to me. Your BC, that's null and void if you're shooting out to 1,200 yards. Yeah, yeah. Why even worry about what it does at 100 yards? Yeah. Okay, you don't. Because inside of six, and I'm gonna say, this is coming from the shooter side of me, not mm-hmm. the, the company spokesman. 600 yards and in, I'm adjusting muzzle velocity. Mm-hmm. 650, 700 yards out, I'm starting to tune BC. Yeah. There you go. So mm-hmm. why am I worried about if they can get you 100 yard BC change? That's. Yeah. Hey, here's this cherry, but it really doesn't matter to the whole flavor. <laughs> I do like I do like cherries though. I, I tend I to eat a lot of cherries. I love them in my in, in drinks. Manhattan's are awesome. <laughs> Guess what? We, uh, we are going to have to do a separate show on bourbon though. You realize I say? Oh, oh yeah, I'll, I'll do a shot of bourbon. I'll go get the bourbon bottle right now. <laughs> well, I can't, well, it's getting late. No, I don't have any bourbon here. We'll do another show on bourbon. That's that's the we'll okay. just have a right. you know, at work. Shooters talking whiskey. Yeah, that's um, fine. But before but yeah, we leave, so, I will do bourbon on on. Uh, I have, I'll have a couple shots of bourbon. <laughs> it's almost midnight here in the states, so okay. I will do bourbon. <laughs> okay, all right. I'll leave you. I'll, I'll go. I'll go have dinner soon, and maybe bourbon. Um, but yeah, so I think that's the thing. It's also with some of these, fe- and it's just general for guys. I I say, look at these features for companies that are pushing. Here's a new feature. It's like, well. Is it of any actual use to what I need to use it for? And I think that BC was it was it. I mean, it, other things it does are great, but that one thing I've always seen, always thought was, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It's cool. Yes, do it. Do it once. Look at that nice graph it can produce for you. But for what we're doing in our game, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but yeah, yeah. But do cool. it. Yeah. Cool story, bro. Hmm. <laughs> that's all. So, so that's it. So I, I was like, okay, all right, sweet ass. So yeah. Um, but the but I, I still think the thing, and I'll tell you, the, the one thing I do, and I've been thinking about this a bit recently, because people who follow this will know that I, I do elaborators. I sell elaborators yeah. as well. And to be blunt, there's one thing that, that I do miss out of the magneto speed, and that is that screen closer to me. It means I don't have to get up and hit 
arm on that lab radar because the, the way that works, you have to arm the thing. So with yeah. the magneto speed, I don't have to move position. I can do everything sitting there, but I still find with the lab radar, I need to get up and, and, and arm it. It's the one thing I do uh, really miss out of that magneto speed is having all that information right there. It's always armed. It's always ready to go. Ready to go. Um, it's actually a simpler, simpler system to use in some ways because bar setting it up so you don't shoot the thing off the front of it. Um, <laughs> which even yeah. I know guys down there who have done it. I'm sure you've come across plenty of people who have in your role. Yep. Um, but apart from that, damn, they're, they're just so easy to use. You just shoot, you get your data, like you say, take it back off and now do the rest of your development or whatever you yeah. want to do for them. And the, the truing part is I have a lot and I have a lot more hunters to call me about getting data in, in using the chronograph than I do competition. Yeah. Just, there's hunters here and general general shooters here in the states. Competition circle compared to that circle is like putting a penny on top of a yeah <laughs> a big man plate yeah mantle cover. Um, so I get a lot, a lot of hunters, and then when I say, "Hey, um, did you true your data?" and they go, "What's that?" Yeah, I'm like using colloquial terms um, and, and accents, I'm like, "What's truing?" Or you know what what is truing your data? I don't know what that is. I'm like, well, sir, that's uh, you have to verify what your bullet's actually doing downrange. Yeah, the chronograph, no matter what chronograph you use, will only get you your data at the muzzle. Yeah, it can count for things going on downrange. You can't count for DC decay. You can't count for if your barrel, the, the the rifling in your barrel's good or shoddy. Mm. Uh, so you have to see what that bullet's doing downrange. So. What are you shooting? 308. Ah, great. You need to shoot 900 yards. Mm. I don't have 900 yards. I'm like, okay. Uh, hopefully you can find a target out in game land, put a steel plate out there, and true. Mm. You need your drops matching up to your ballistic data. So usually the hunters don't because they're shooting. But they may never shoot further than 100 anyway, so... Yeah. So when when they, they say truing and I tell them the true... They're like, so what's the furthest you're going to be engaged in your game at? And I don't get into them on the ethical question of yeah. shooting long distance in game. I don't. I just ask them, what's the maximum range you're going to shoot at? Oh, 500, 600 yards. I'm like, do you have the ability to go to a range and shoot 500, 600 yards? And they're like, yeah, I have 500-yard range. I'm like, true data at 500 yards. See where yeah. it's at. So your velocity in your bullet BC should all true and be good. And, and I'll say this. With the advent of ballistic apps and everything else, people are putting trash variables and getting trash out. Mm -hmm. They're putting in bad variables such as mix and matching their G1 and G7 with their bullet PC. That happened. Yep. And they're also putting incorrect scope overboard height. And I'm telling you, if that's off a quarter of an inch, it's going to throw you off at a thousand mm -hmm. big time. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it. Uh, hey, my scope over bore heights. Uh, what's I don't even have that input in. Like, that's that's more the first I, thing. It's not. Even, it hasn't been changed. So I don't know it, what the default on the software is, but it's kind of a big deal to have that. Yeah. And if you're off, it's gonna make your algorithm off. And the G1, G7, having having their G1 BC selected, but they select G7 in the app for the drag model. Guess what? Things aren't gonna line up. Yeah. So you have to make sure all your variables line up, and truing is the last part of it. Mm. So, so uh, with, with what you're saying with the hunters over there, then does that also mean that you're selling 
Because I was often guys would go, do I need the Sporter model or do I need the V3 model? And generally, I said to guys, for for us, we've got multiple guns, a lot of suppressors, all these bits and pieces. It was always just get the V3. The don't just just get the V3. Just don't even don't even worry about the Sporter model. But are you selling more equal amounts of bo- both over there? Oh, we have a lot of Sporter models that go out. Yeah. Um, if it, not shooting suppressed. Yeah, you don't have a barrel over one inch in diameter, and your muzzle breaks smaller, less smaller than two point five inches. People are going with the sporter. Man, yeah. We have tens of thousands of sporters that have gone out. Yeah, we, we have thousands of sporters that have gone out, and um, a lot of people love them. It's yeah. simple. Gets you your velocity. They get ten, ten or five, ten shots through it. They're done. They're done. Yeah, that's that's all they need. Now, like I said, this comes into application uh, depending on the model. If you have a suppressor, you have large barrels, you have long brakes, you're going to need the V3. Mm. If you're running Barrett 50 cals, you're going to need the V3 with a large brake adapter. Yeah. If you're running just sporter contour barrels for hunting, and you just need to get your velocity, get the sporter. Mm. So it, it depends on what you're doing. Yeah. Um, Pistols and everything else, we're still working the pistol issue and the AR. There's a lot of AR. They want, yeah, yeah. But I, but I had a rail adapter on the, my shadow, so I could get the put the rail adapter on it and I could crane in my shadow. So, awesome. you know. But again, yes, you just need to understand its use and everything like that. So. Exactly. So we we have, I'm going to say, there's there's a fair amount of spores out there. I want to say, and... Um, V3s, yeah, being the more popular because of its capabilities. There's a lot of V3s went out, but I honestly would say sporters are up there too. I, yeah. I would say 50-50, I'd go 60-40. V3 ahead of the sporter. Uh, most of the time, a lot of people will, and I've seen it, they'll, they'll get the sporter, they'll have a sporter for a while, they'll have the sporter for the nine months that their, their suppressor's in ATF jail, and then as soon as they get their stamp, and their, their cam is released to them, it's like, oh, I need to upgrade. Right. My sporter, I'm going to clean it up. I'm going to put my sporter on gun broker or on the sniper side and sell it off and then put that money towards V3. Gotcha. Or they can go to a match and get a certificate. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Trigonometry Show, brought to you by Precision Shooter. Check out psnz.info for details.